Clover Press Media Group presents a CMG podcast. Keys yeah. to the city. Keys to the city, baby. When you see us, so you know. I crossed up by Kobe. Well, floated Shaq, and then Shaq goes like this, and the rest is history. Pay attention. Don't tell me what to do, devil woman. Speaking of those Lakers, but I, but I hold on, fun. But I didn't make my. I didn't make. I said Denver's gonna win. Yeah, you did. You said that. There's no other show like that. Clover Crest is doing great things right now. Streaming everywhere. Let's say goodbye to all your worries about tax planning, investment troubles, and any confusion when it comes to managing your finances and money. Here at Rocky Hill Accountants, our team has a combined 35 years of experience and will help you do it right. We're dedicated to your needs and will deliver on a result that is professional and trustworthy. Our firm is large enough to offer a full range of professional services, but small enough to give you the individual attention that you deserve. Our business portfolio includes thousands of prepared tax returns for individuals, families, partnerships, businesses, and more. The team at Rockdale Accountants are also thoroughly trained in tax laws and procedures. We have the ability to represent taxpayers before the IRS when they arrive at collections, audits, and appeals. This allows us to offer our accuracy and audit guarantee to tax clients. Please visit our website at RockyHillAccountants.com or give us a call at 860-257-4238 to schedule an appointment. Welcome to Sports Talk with R&J. I am Steve Risser, along here with Justin D'Onofrio. And it is here, week one of the NFL season. It starts tomorrow night, and we got a big matchup. We got the Dallas Cowboys heading down to Tampa to face the defending Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm definitely excited for this game. This should be, it should be, uh, it should be a pretty good game. I think Tampa Bay is going to win it, but, you know, it'll be a pretty popular game because we all know the Cowboys are a popular team. A game, the game will get high ratings, but... The game on the field might not be the best game because obviously the Cowboys are going to be without Zach Martin, one of their best, uh, one of their best offensive linemen. Ezekiel Elliott said earlier this week he is their best offensive player, so it's going to be a rough one for the Cowboys. And I think I think Tampa Bay wins it. I think Tampa Bay wins it by by three scores. I think that uh, they, they completely shut down the run game with Ezekiel Elliott. I think that Brady. I think they're able to run the football on Dallas's defense. I think Brady throws two or three touchdown passes. He has a big night. I think they force a turnover too from Dak Prescott because the, the loss of Zach Martin. I think the big thing is going to happen is I think I think they're going to they're going to they're going to they're bring uh, uh, Devin White on, on those blitzes and he's had nine and a half sacks last year. So I think that uh, I think Tampa Bay's defense is going to have a big game. I think their offense is going to have a really big game too. I got Tampa Bay winning this game and I got them winning it big. I got Tampa Bay over Dallas tomorrow night. 34-17. But, Justin, can Dak Prescott keep up with Tom Brady? I got the Bucks, but can Dak Prescott keep up with Tom Brady? And can Micah Parsons make a difference on this defense for the Cowboys to pull off a major upset? Now with Zach Warren going to be out of the ball game tomorrow night, it's going to be even tougher. Um, especially, too, it'll be Dak's first game <clears throat> coming back from that you know devastating ankle injury. You know, he's had the shoulder problems this offseason. So, you know, there's going to be some rust. He didn't play any preseason games. So, 
and, and that Tampa Bay um, pass rush is really, really good. So it, it could be a pretty long night for the Cowboys if that can't get protect, protection. Um, I expect C.D. Land to take a big step up this year. I think maybe having the loss of Dak Prescott for the whole year kind of probably hurt some of his production, but I expect C.D. Land to have a, a pretty good year. And for um, Michael Parsons, he's going to have to be a playmaker on this defensive side of the ball. I think you know Dallas defense can get better throughout the year. Um, I like what they did with Parsons and um, drafting Drill Cox, too, as another linebacker. Um, but I expect Parsons to kind of be all over the field and he's going to have to be a playmaker on this defense. And if, you know, he could step up, make a couple, you know, force a fumble, you know, get, get a big sack on third down, um, kind of turn, change the tide that maybe, but he's going to, um, it's a tough task to ask in his first game, but if he can come out, make some big plays on the defensive side of the ball, uh, maybe then Dallas has a chance, but I have Tampa Bay win this one 31 to 21. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, this is a really bad matchup for the Cowboys. They're really, I don't think they're going to be able to get any running game going. I think Dak's going to be under pressure because Lyle Collins is banged up too. Tyron Smith, he's not the player he once was. So I think this Tampa Bay front seven is going to control this game completely. And I think Tom Brady is just going to have a huge game. As, as Mike Seven says, he says, we're light years ahead of where we were last year. And I believe him. I, I think this Tampa Bay team is going to be, I think they're the best team in football. They're clearly the best team in the NFC. I think they're, I think they're the best team in football. I think they're going to prove it tomorrow night. I think this is, I mean, I'm, I think I'm even being generous. I think you're being totally generous going 31-21. Yeah. I think I'm being generous going 34-17. I can see this being worse. I can see this being like, you know, 38-10, 34-10. I can see this game being a complete blowout uh, tomorrow night. I, I, uh, tomorrow night, I think Tampa Bay just, they're just so good. They're the best ro- they have the best roster in the, in the league, and they got a top-five quarterback. They got the recipe of a team that, that could go, that could potentially go undefeated. That's how good they are. Undefeated. I don't know about them. It's a tough <laughs> the, the, the game 17 game schedule. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. The 17 game schedule. I think I got a little yeah. carried away there. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if they'll be able to go undefeated. I, you know, but yeah, you know, this Tampa Bay roster is great. They bring back every starter. Um, it, it's yeah, it's a team that really in the second half of the season last year really gelled together, and you know they they played a lot better. So. Yeah, you know, I probably am being a little bit generous. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll say it's like thirty-one fourteen with like three minutes left, and Dallas scores like a backdoor touchdown to make the score look like a little that's, makes it look a little competitive. That, that, that's my prediction. I'm like, I think it's thirty-four ten late in the game. And I think Dallas scores that scores a touchdown at the end. So yeah, even I think both our scores are not going to be as indicative as the game is. I think Tampa Bay uh, wins it big, and I think the big the, the only saving grace for the Cowboys. I think the one positive for the Cowboys is. They got 10 of, of playing this game is they got 10 days off until they play the Chargers. So I think they pretty much have a pretty much have a bye week before before their next game. That's 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 the that's the advantage for both teams playing this Thursday night game. But I think that's an advantage for the Cowboys because this is a game the Cowboys are probably going to lose. But they do have time off to play, to get ready for the Chargers. Yeah, definitely. You know, kind of gets gets you. Yeah, because it's like you kind of get your feet wet for kind of all the changes on defense with the new coordinator, defense coordinator, Dan Quinn. Um, yeah, and like for the rookies to kind of get a taste now, all right, now, now we got 10 days to kind of get ready. And for Dak, too, to kind of recover after his first game. Um, I know he says his shoulder's healthy, his ankle's healthy, but, you know, it's going to be the first time he's going to be hit there, you know. Or, and if he's got to throw, on because it's a throwing shoulder, if he throws, he's probably going to have to 40, 45 times. Is it sore tomorrow? So, yeah, I think that extra time, too, for, you know, Dak is going to help out the Cowboys as well. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is just going to be a blowout. I think Tampa Bay wins it big. It'll get a high ratings because it's the Cowboys, but I don't think the game's going to be a great game. I got Tampa winning it big. But we're going to talk about our team. Before we get into the full slate of games, we're going to talk about our teams first. And we're going to start with the Giants, who at 4 o'clock face the Denver Broncos. And I think this is a this is a 50-50 game, in my opinion. I mean, we don't know if Saquon Barkley is going to play. We don't know if Kenny Galladay is going to play. That's going to be key for the Giants. And for the Broncos, uh, Bradley Chubb is a little bit banged up. He actually got arrested yesterday, too. So, I mean, I, yeah. I'm here. What did you say? I did not hear that. Oh, yeah, wow. so I, I'm not sure if Bradley Chubb's going to play either. So it, this, this is a 50-50 game. But the one thing you could say about the Broncos' offenses with Teddy Bridgewater is they're not going to turn the ball over, and he's going to, I think he's going to keep him in this game. I think the Giants' defense is going to have a good game, though. I think Leonard Williams have a big game getting pressure on Teddy Bridgewater. I think they shut down the running game. Uh, and I, I do think, I do think you know, Denver moves the ball a little bit, but, but, but not that much. And I think for the Giants, I think this is, this, is, this, is, this is a game where the offense, it depends on if Saquon Barkley plays. Saquon Barkley is going to be a key because Saquon Barkley could definitely make a difference in this game. The one weakness of Denver is their run defense. So if Barkley plays, I think he could have a big game running the ball. And also in the pass game, their linebackers are a weakness of that defense too. So Saquon Barkley is going to be such a big key in this game if he plays or not. And that's going to be a huge determining factor if the Giants win or lose this game. I think he plays, but he gets a little – but in, limit, in limited action, I think Kenny Galladay plays too. I think it's a really, really close competitive game. I think there's two things that have to happen. I think Saquon, they got the Giants got to be able to run the ball, and they can't let Bradley Chubb. We know if he's going to play. We can't let Bradley Chubb, and you can't let Avon Miller uh, wreck this game. So I think this is going to be a really, really close competitive game. But I got to go with my Giants in the opener to go start 1-0. I got my Giants winning their first opening game in five years. I got them winning – 19 to 17 over the Broncos on Sunday afternoon. But Justin, can Von Miller and Bradley Chubb dominate this game for the Broncos to go into MetLife Stadium and win a defensive struggle? I think they do, as you mentioned, Bradley Chubb plays. Um, because they, I could see this game just being like week one last year for the Giants, where it was just Pittsburgh was living that backfield all day. Barkley had 15 carries for only six yards. Um, we've seen Daniel Jones struggle, you know, kind of under pressure. A- again, if you know, I think Denver's going to be able to force turnovers. If Chubb and, and Miller are, are going to live in that backfield, um, you know, so in Galladay's questionable. He's going to be a big play threat. You know, um, could Tony make some big plays at that slot receiver for him? Um, but I, I think Denver could wreck this game just like last year. We kind of saw the Giants' offensive line kind of struggle. It got better throughout the season last year. I expected the same um, this year. But I think Denver gets this game 17-13. I do think Von Miller and Bradley Chubb wrecked this game, and I think the Giants have a long day. And I think Denver forces a turnover, too, and makes a short field for Teddy Bridgewater to capitalize. You compared to the Pittsburgh game last year. I think with the pass rush, absolutely with 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 Chubb and Miller. I think the one difference though is is I think if Barkley plays, I think he he, he could really make a difference on the ground because Denver at linebacker is not great. They're not great at linebacker. Pittsburgh was definitely better at linebacker with Devin Bush last year. So, but I definitely could see. I would not be surprised. Obviously, if the Giants' offense struggles in this game because you look at some of the additions Denver made on defense. They have one of the best safeties in the league in Justin Justin Simmons. So Evan Ingram's going to have a rough. He's banged up. And he's going to have a rough day. You could count on Evan Ingram not having a great game. You could, if Patrick Sertan lives up to the hype, Kenny Galladay could have a rough day. That's why Saquon Barkley is so key in this game. He's a such a difference maker. This is a really good matchup for him 
and I know he's coming off an ACL injury. It's going to be his first game, but this is such a good matchup for him. And the Giants desperately need him in this game if they want to win it. That's why I feel like he has got to play this game. I don't even want him playing in limited action. He's been out for a year. I want him playing in this game because I feel like I don't want to get off to another. As a Giants fan, I do not want to see this team get off to another bad start. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to see that because because um, it, it's a short week too. Going to watch it. That's the worry for that I have with Barkley. If how many snaps he played because. It's a division game at Washington, which is going to be a very tough opponent. But, yeah, you know, they're they're going to need Barkley in this game to really, um, yeah, to make some big plays for him and to keep that kind of offense going. Yeah, um, as I mentioned with Pittsburgh last year, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to have six rushing yards. Like, I think he's going to have more rushing yards than he did against that Pittsburgh game. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a show. Yeah, he's going to have to be the guy that steps up, makes some big plays. Um yeah, you kind of hope he plays. I, you know, sounds like he wants to, but we'll, we'll see what the Giants do with him with the short week, and it's a division game with Washington. So, you know, we'll, I, you know, I, I'm not really sure if they'll play him for, you know, all four quarters, or or he'll come out, you know, maybe a series or two. I don't, you know, um, I'm. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him, game plan wise. Absolutely, absolutely, and it definitely could dictate. It could definitely could be the deciding factor if they win or lose this game. So it's going to be a 50-50 game. But I got to take. I got to take my Giants. If you're if you have faith in the Giants, if you have faith in the Giants this year, you got to pick them in this game. You cannot pick against the. If you don't, you cannot pick against the Giants in a game that Teddy Bridgewater starts. If you have faith in the Giants this year, you got to pick them in this game. No, absolutely, because you know at this point for Daniel Jones, he should be able to outduel. Um, Teddy Bridgewater game. I mean, obviously, you're not a fan of either team. You're picking the game objectively, yeah. but I bet every I bet on John. I think every I think every Giants fan. Everybody. I think Joe. I think I don't know for sure, but I think Joe. We know Jason. We don't need to. We don't need to talk about Jason. We know Jason's picking the Giants, but yeah, but we know Joe. Or I, I think we'll see what Joe, Sean, and Isaiah. I think Isaiah and Jace definitely. That's a lot to the time. Isaiah and Isaiah and Jace will definitely take the Giants. We don't know which way Sean or uh, Sean or Joe will go, but I think Isaiah and Jace are definitely taking the Giants tonight, but. Yeah, if you're if you, if you believe in this giant system, and I'm I'm I buy, I'm buying into it with Joe Judge, you got to pick him to win this game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I have the Giants who in the playoffs, but you know, I, it, it's a lot more because I just don't trust Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I don't really trust the Cowboys' defense yet. Um, so yeah, you know, if the Giants want to make the playoffs, they got to get this game. It's a home game. It's a winnable game against the Denver team that also could be fighting for a um, wild card spot. But yeah, at home week one. It's a big week for Daniel Jones to kind of see more development. He's got to be able to beat Daniel, um, Teddy Bridgewater in a game at home. And we got a comment from Hector. I love my Giants, but there's a difference between mm-hmm. having faith and and the reality we are seeing year year after year. Yeah, and Hector, that's a good point. I mean, what we saw in the preseason from the offense was not promising at all. What we saw in the preseason from the offensive line, especially in that New England preseason game, was not promising. Andrew Thomas really struggled. Daniel Jones had that terrible, terrible turnover near the goal line in that New England preseason game. Hector is definitely right about that. What we've been seeing year after year since 2013, there's only been one winning season. But why I'm buying into this is because of Joe, what Joe Judge did last year, changing, uh, trying to change that culture and the way that defense played that year. That's why I'm kind of buying into this giant team. This is the most optimistic I've been about the judge. I, I, the last two years, I did not pick the Giants to have a winning record or go to the playoffs. This year, I picked them to have a winning record and go to the playoffs because I do like the direction that Joe Judge has this team going, in my opinion. I hope I'm right, but I am doubting it a little bit, knowing what I've seen over the last eight years from this team. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, yeah, it's kind of been tough. It's been a bunch of like 4-12, 5-11 season. It's kind of just like, 
you know, finally under Joe Judge, you're seeing, yeah, you, as you mentioned, there's, you're showing the progress, you're showing improvement, you're showing, you know, the new culture um, that's there. You know, I, I you know, the Giants, it, it's, you know, their defense is so good. It, it, it's the offense is just the big question mark has in a lot. It's all pretty much on Daniel Jones this year, you know. Huge year, huge year for this quarterback, huge year yeah. for this quarterback, huge year for this GM. If they if they have a, a six, five six win season, both will be gone, guaranteed. Yeah, absolutely, and they they should be, you know, um, it, you know, because yeah, it, it's gonna be because they ha, you know they got Galladay, you got Barkley around, you know, they have some better weapons around for Daniel Jones. Now. The line still, as we mentioned, isn't great. It, it's really struggling, but you hope by you know they kind of gel and get it going later, you know, each week to get a little bit better. Um, but yeah, you know, especially in an NFC East that's really not that good. You know, there's again the Cowboys, Washington are going to be right there, but their bull could be you know eight, nine win teams, and I could be double digit win teams. So it's it's kind of set up for the Giants. Uh, yeah, you know, be able to win nine, ten games, get back to the playoffs, kind of get back to the to the Giants because it's not really like the Giants to kind of go in funks like you know six, seven years with just kind of losing records and not really being too competitive or used to the giants kind of being there in the NFC East and kind of, you know, we'd be in a playoff team. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, beginning of my lifetime from 2005 to 2012, they didn't have a losing season. They never had a losing season in that. And those, in that eight year stretch, the worst they were was eight and eight. The funny part of that, the, the funny part now is since from 2013 to 2020, they've only had one winning season. The best, the best they've been was 11 and five, and they haven't won a playoff game. They haven't won a playoff game in 10 years, so it's got to happen this year for the Giants, and they need and they need to start off with a win against the Broncos. But we got to get to the game with the two Alabama quarterbacks going at it, and with Tua and Mac Jones, and that's your Patriots uh, up as the Dolphins help the Foxborough to face the New England Patriots. And I think this is going to be a really, really competitive game. I think New England's going to have a big day on the ground. I think. Uh, Damian Harris is going to go for over 100 yards in this game. I think Mac Jones is going to play pretty well. Uh, but I do think Tua is going to play pretty well, too. I think I think the speed on the field for Miami, New England likes to play a lot of man coverage. And I think that's without Stephon Gilmore, that's going to be an issue with some of the, with some of the pass catchers Miami has, with, with Miami having Devontae Parker, with Miami having Jalen Waddell, with Miami having Mike Gusecki. I think that's going to be a difference. I think the biggest difference in this game is I think both teams move the ball, but Miami is going to score touchdowns, and the Patriots are going to kick field goals. And that's why... I know Miami on the offensive line is a little bit shaky, but I do think New England, I know they got, you know, Matt Judon and they'll have Hightower blitzing, but I don't think they have a great pass rush. I, I think both quarterbacks play well, but the difference in this game is the, the Dolphins are going to score touchdowns and the Patriots are going to get kick field goals. I thought the Patriots kicked way too many field goals in the preseason. So, uh, so I got the Miami going up to New England and upsetting the Patriots 24-23. Now, as a Pats fan, Justin, I'll make this question easy for you. I'm a, I got the Dolphins winning, but in your opinion, does Mac Jones win his first start, and why does he win his first start? I think he will. I think they do get this one. I got the Pats winning this one, 20 to 17. Um, I've heard from one player, uh, I forgot who it was last week, was saying Mac Jones looks better now since Cam Newton left. Like you know, Mac Jones has taken the next step now. He hasn't, you know, he's even more motivated now that he won the job. Um, you know, I heard too. He was talking yesterday. WEI's first interview. He's, you know, um, he's running through walkthroughs with his girlfriend. He's, you know, his girlfriend's even gonna play. He's throwing, he's got, I guess, a couple of nets in the backyard. He's throwing route, you know. So I, I love all the extra work he's putting in. Charlie White said, who's still really close to Tom Brady, was saying, you know, there's some characteristics to him like Tom Brady. 
He's got that it factor like Tom has. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, again, he's a rookie. He's going to make some mistakes. It's going to happen. But I think he does enough to win this game. And I think, as you mentioned, I think the Pats, Patriots are going to be able to manage this game on the ground, keep the ball away from Miami's offense. I think their line play, they're off in the line praise pretty well. Um, the question is, you know, can a wide receiver help up and, and kind of step up, help them out? And the Dolphins have two excellent corners. Yeah. We're not two. I have one of the top corners with Xavier and Howard, and then you got a good corner with Byron Jones. You're going to see Mac Jones is going to see a lot of blitzing from Brian Flores. He's going to see you know a lot of man coverage, which I think is going to be tough. I think it's going to be tough for Jones' first game to fit the ball through those windows. I mean, I obviously think he moves the ball because of the running game, but I think it's going to be tough for Mac Jones, especially when you know those corners are definitely going to have the better matchup. I mean. I mean, Xavier and Howard against Nelson Aguilar, that, that's, that's, that's advantage Dolphins. Byron Jones against, uh, against Jacoby Myers, that's advantage Dolphins. Those corners against those receivers, the Dolphins have the advantage. And I think the receivers against those, those, uh, Patriots, those Patriots corners, because, because Gilmore's out, they're going to have the advantage. So it's going to be an interesting game. It's, it's the big guys. It's, it's the speed against the grit. The grit is the Patriots. The speed is the Dolphins. Two con- it's going to be a nice contrast in style. It should be a great game. But I just got the Dolphins winning it because I just feel like in this league today, you got to score touchdowns, not kick field goals. Patriots kicked too many field goals for me in the preseason. Yeah, they did, which, yeah, is a little bit concerning. They punch it in more often. Um, but, yeah, you know, and that was kind of the thing last year. They they kicked a lot of field goals. Um, they couldn't really finish drives. And, it, yeah, that is definitely a concern. Um, I think their defense makes enough plays. But I, I think, yeah, as you mentioned, the two top corners that Miami has, I, I think Myers and Aguilar are going to have tough days. It's going to have to be Kendrick Bourne and, you know, now we're number four wide receiver, Malcolm Perry, who we just got from Miami a few weeks ago. So um, the former Navy quarterback. So I, I think those two are going to have to step up. We have no Hunter Henry, but um, Juno Smith uh, – uh, um, John U. Smith, tight John end. Smith, gotcha, yeah. Yeah, John, yeah. Um, he's going to probably have to make some big plays for us to be successful. Because, yeah, I don't think Myers or Aguilar are going to have big days. They're going to need, like, their third or four wide receivers to step out and make some plays for them in the passing game. Absolutely, absolutely. So it should be a great game. AFC's battle, Patriots-Dolphins, 425 up in Foxborough. First time there there have been fans in Foxborough since Brady's last game. So it'll be interesting to see the – it'll be nice for – you're probably excited to see all the fans in Foxborough. On Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it'll be nice. You know, it'll be nice to get back in there. Um, yeah, because they're obviously a great fan base. And, you know, and everybody's loving what Mac Jones has been. So, you know, all I, those fans are going to give Mac Jones a great round uh, first time he takes the field Sunday. Oh, I bet they are. I bet they are. But we got to get Sunday's slate, and we're going to start. We're going to stay in the AFC East, and we got the Steelers heading to Buffalo to face the Bills. And the Steelers are coming in this game, I feel like, out of sorts. I feel like the TJ Watt situation is a distraction. They have not, you know, given him a new deal yet. I don't know what's going on, on there. I don't like questioning the Steelers, but I don't get the fact they haven't, they haven't, uh, they haven't given TJ Watt a new deal. Buffalo's improved on that defensive line, uh, taking uh, taking the kid from Miami in the first round, and they took Carlos Basham in the second round. Uh, the Steelers' offensive line is a major, major, major question mark with uh, with with Mark with with with, with uh, DeCastro gone, Pouncey gone, and Villanueva gone. So that, that that offensive line is a major, major question mark. I feel like Buffalo's going to run it, run the ball a little bit, and if TJ Watt doesn't play, I think Josh Allen has a big day, throws throws a couple of touchdown passes, and I think on defense. Buffalo forces a turnover from Ben Roethlisberger, who I feel like his best days are behind him. Uh, I got, I think Najee Harris has some yards on the ground, but but not enough to control this game. I got Buffalo winning this by two scores. I think they're clearly the better football team, in my opinion. I feel like they're the best team in the. A- I mean, them and Kansas City are right there 
uh, for being the best team in the AFC going into the season. I got Buffalo winning this game, and I got them winning it by two scores. I got Buffalo winning it 31 to 16. But Justin, I got the Bills winning. But can Najee Harris have a really good debut? And can the Steelers' defense contain Josh Allen for them to pull the upset? I think they can. Um, <clears throat> I do have Buffalo winning 24 to 20. I do think, yeah, now with the Watt news, um, it, it's a little concerning. It sounds like, you know, the Steelers expect him to play. Uh, but I'm excited to see Najee Harris. You know, he's a guy that, again, the running game was a big struggle for the Seals last year. But he's a guy that's really good at breaking tackles, did good inside the tackles um, runner. He can get outside, and he's really good if he gets outside the numbers. So I think Najee Harris is <clears throat> hes a tough back to bring down. He catches the ball out of the backfield, um, which I think they're going to use a lot with, with Big Ben, really. As we've seen, the arm strength hasn't been there, you know, as he's gotten older. Um, the arm strength isn't what it used to be. So I think he's going to catch a lot of screen passes as well, which I think could set up very well for the Steelers. So I think um, Najee Harris coming big, a big impact for the Steelers on the offensive side. The defense, you know, they're, they're pretty good. I think if you can kind of, you know, for the Bills, they have three pretty good wide receivers, you know, three, four guys that they can go to. Um, you know, can the steel, you know, can the Steelers limit like a Stefan Diggs a little bit and make, you know, um, like their number two, like a Cole Beasley have like a bigger day than, um, than, um, than Diggs or Emmanuel Sanders, you know, or Emmanuel Sanders coming at the number two wide receiver now. So, uh, could the, you know, I think the Steelers could get some, um, some pressure on Allen. Um, you know, if they could force turnover to the Steelers, we're good at that last year. Um, if they could slow down the running game, kind of make Josh Allen drop back 30, 40 times, which he is pretty good at, but um, could help kind of the Steelers a little bit if they drop that bit many times. Because the Steelers secondary is still pretty good. So I do think the Steelers hang around, but just not enough to beat the uh, Bills. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I think I, I mean, you, you're you're higher on the Steelers than I am. I, I think they, I think the Bills win it by a couple scores. You're higher on them than I am, but I, I just don't think the way Pittsburgh's going to this game with the TJ Watt situation, the uh, the new offensive line, and Big Ben, in my opinion, is being washed up. I think the Steelers are in are in big trouble heading to Buffalo. And that's why I think they lose by two scores. But we got to move on to a game in Atlanta as the Philadelphia Eagles travel down to Atlanta to face the Falcons. And I think this is a really, really close competitive game. I think that I think that I I think that Matt Ryan has a has a big game. I think the Eagles playing is gonna have a really big game. He's my offensive rookie of the year and I got him going for over hundred yards on Sunday. I got I got Calvin Ridley going for over hundred yards. I feel like he's gonna have a big game too. I feel like the Eagles will get pressure on Matt Ryan, but I do feel like that Pitts and uh, Ridley will have big games where that's not going to be as huge of a factor. On offense for the Eagles, I do think Jalen Hurts is going to have a pretty good game. I think Devontae Smith is going to have a pretty good game. But I do feel like the Falcons' defense with Grady Jarrett and Deion Jones are going to contain Miles Sanders. Deion Jones, one of the best you know, coverage linebackers in the league. So I think Miles Sanders will be contained in the passing game and in the running game. So I think – I think, and I do think that uh, Atlanta will blitz. New defensive coordinator, Dean Pease, came from the Titans, came from the Ravens. He likes to blitz a lot. So I think that's going to force Hurts to – that's going to force a turnover. I think this game comes down to the end with Jalen Hurts and the ball in his hands, and I think Atlanta's defense makes a play, and they win this game. And I got the Falcons beating the Eagles – 27-23 in Atlanta. But, Justin, I got the Falcons, but can the Eagles' D-line get pressure on Matt Ryan and can Jalen Hurts have a big game 
for the Eagles to go down to Atlanta and pull the upset. Yeah, I have Atlanta winning this one 27-21. Um, the Eagles were really good last year getting pressure. They had 49 sacks. I know the D-line is getting older. I know they're kind of banged up right now. Um, and the secondary isn't great. So if they could get some pressure, make Matt Ryan throw a turnover to make, you know, throw a pick, make life easier for Jalen Hurts, I could see the Eagles coming in this one and winning the game on the road. You know, both teams are featuring in first-year head coach or, you know, first game. Um, you know, so that would be kind of interesting to see how that goes. But I, I think the Eagles can, you know, can get some pressure on them, but I don't think it's enough. And I think Matt Ryan does enough to be able to get the win. For Jalen Hurts, yeah, it's on a great defense, as you mentioned. Um, with Jones, he's going to be covered on Miles Sanders. Yeah, he, you know, because um, he's been a huge part of the passing game Miles Sanders has the last few years. Um, so, yeah, I, it needs to be tough for him to get involved. Devontae Smith, you know, his first game, how did he do? Um, with, you know, I, I think the key for him and, and um, Jalen Hurts is to get in rhythm early, getting going, you know, having like a good first couple drives, get some confidence going. I think it's going to be huge for Jalen Hurts to kind of get going. He's got to stay away from the turnovers. But um, I just don't think the Eagles have enough explosiveness on offense to be able to beat the Falcons. That's something they still do have Atlanta with um, Ridley and Pitts. Yeah, Pitts should have a big game. I'm calling it over 100 yards for Kyle Pitts on Sunday against the Eagles. But we're going to stay down south, and we got Sam Darnold in his first game with the Panthers facing his former team in the New York Jets. This is a really, really interesting game in in uh, in week one. Uh, I, I think Carolina, I think Sam Darnold plays well. I think the Jets, you know, contain McCaffrey, but obviously he's Christian McCaffrey, so we'll get his yards. Uh, but I do think McCaffrey will be more of an effective in the pass game than in the run game because – when you see, they're going to have C.J. Mosley on him, and C.J. Mosley is not good in coverage. I think that Darnold's going to have time because the Jets don't have a great offensive line, so I think D.J. Moore is a good game, and I think that uh, I think that uh, Robbie Anderson has a good game. And for the Jets, I feel like uh, I feel like Zach Zach Wilson will make plays. You saw it in the preseason. You saw, I, th- I think uh, I think the, the question is going to be: I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball enough, and I think that the Panthers defense is going to force a turnover or two from Zach Wilson. I think that's going to eventually be the difference in the game. I think the Panthers defense will force more turnovers than the Jets defense. And obviously that means that Sam Darnold will make less mistakes than, uh, than Zach Wilson. And at the end of the day, I think Sam, Sam Darnold gets revenge against his former team. And I got the Panthers winning 27, 17 in Carolina, but Justin, I got the Panthers, but can Zach Wilson outplay Sam Darnold and help the Jets pull an upset to have the Zach Wilson and Robert Sala era begin with the win. I think it can happen. Um, you know, Zach Wilson, one thing Sam Darnold doesn't have is that ability to run. Um, Zach Wilson's going to be able to do that. Um, pretty good scramble. And, and, you know, still doesn't have a ton of great weapons around. I'm excited to see what he does with Elijah Moore. Zach Wilson has, you know, um, big arm. Elijah Moore is a great deep threat. You know, we saw him last year at Ole Miss with Matt Corral um, and Lincoln's offense. So, uh, he's an explosive player. They don't have a ton around him yet. But, you know, again, Sam Darnold had no help in New York. We all know that. He still wasn't great. Like, I thought he could have played a little bit better. For, you know, last year he had nine touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Um, he's got to avoid that one terrible interception. Yeah. And I even feel like on Sunday they might win, but he might throw that bad interception because it's Sam Darnold. You can almost count on him throwing that terrible interception every game. Even in games the Jets won, he would throw that awful interception. Or he'd have that terrible overthrow. Where, where you miss a guy wide open. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something, yeah, as a year guy, year four now for him, that's something that can't happen. 
Yeah, that's kind of – it's been the problem. Yeah, he makes some bad mistakes. Um, and that's something, yeah, he, you know, he's got to learn to get rid of. I'm interested to see what Joe Brady does with him and Matt Rule. Um, I, again, it's a totally di- – you know, he's got coaches that are 100 times better now around him than he did in New York. So, it'll be interesting how he grows now being in the Carolina system. But it's a big year for him. He's got to play well to, um, you know – um, try to get contract to go start for another team or just kind of beat Carolina's next quarterback. Um, it, it's a huge year for him, but I could see Zach Wilson, his first game out playing him. He's got, you know, Wilson's got the big arm. I just don't think they just have enough around him. And I think Sam Darnold comes out motivated against his former team and um, get a win, gets a win. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you hit the nail on the head. This is a this has got to be the year for Sam Darnold. If he has a bad season this year, he will be a career long backup. But we got to move on to a matchup in Indianapolis as the Seahawks travel to Indianapolis to face the Colts. And I don't know how healthy Carson Wentz and uh, and Zach. And I mean, uh, sorry about that. Same school. Uh, Quentin Nelson are in this game. And that's why. I think the Seahawks win this, and I think they win it by double digits. And one reason why, they got Dwayne Brown back to solidify that offensive line. I feel like Russell Wilson could have a big game. You got an Indianapolis defense that plays a lot of zone coverage, so I feel like Wilson's going to be able to get the ball to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I think he's going to throw for over 300 yards and, have, and have, have, at least, have, have at least two to three touchdown passes. And then on defense, I think Jamal Adams is going to be a big factor in this game. I think the Colts are going to have trouble picking up the blitzes from Jamal Adams in this game. I think they're going to force a turnover or two from Carson Wentz. And that's why I got the Seahawks winning this one by double digits. I got the Seahawks going into Indianapolis and beating the Colts 31-20. But, Justin, I got the Seahawks in this game. But can Wentz and the Colts D carry them to an upset win? Yeah, I think can. I think it's big for Carson Wentz because, um, you know, we know what happened last year in Philly. You know, he want, I, he's got to come in here. It's a brand-new start and kind of, you know, um, as a brand-new member of the team, as a starting quarterback, it would be huge for him to kind of come in, play well, and get a win. I, I think, you know, um, to kind of the rest of the teammates, a nice, you know, kind of welcome, you know, welcome himself into the Indianapolis mm-hmm. Colts team. So I think it's – I think it's a big day. I think it's going to be a big game for him to kind of show – that you know the the um, his teammates in the fan base of of um, Indianapolis of you know he could be a quarterback that could kind of you know put them because they're they're good enough to make a run in the playoffs they they have talent it's kind of because it's a healthy and it can once um you know do enough to get them to to get them there so for once it's a big big um big game for him but I so I think yeah offensively he could. Do it. Seattle's defense isn't great, so I could see him having a nice big game with a better offensive line. They have a really good running game in Indianapolis. So, and on the defense side, I think they could get some pressure on Russell Wilson. Um, I have this game. I have Seattle winning twenty four twenty one. I think Indy's defense finds a way to keep this thing close. Um, and I think you know new offense coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, they get um, Dwan Brown back on the offensive line, which is going to be huge for Seattle. But I, I do see Indianapolis making a play or two, getting a turnover. They keep this thing kind of close and their running game kind of keeping Russell Russell Wilson off the field long enough to kind of have a chance at the end to win this game. But I do, and Seattle's been great. I think they've won eight of the last nine on East Coast games for like a one o'clock game. So they've been great on the early kickoff. And I think Seattle wins another one. 
Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think uh, I think Seattle goes up there and gets this win. I know Indy would have a chance because of their defense and Carson Wentz, but I just think Wentz and Nelson are just not 100% right now. That's why I got the Seahawks winning this game. But we got a matchup in Cincinnati as the Vikings head to Cincinnati to face the Bengals. And I think the Vikings pretty much do whatever they want on offense in this game. I think Dalvin Cook has a big game running the ball. I think he has a big game in the pass game. I think Justin Jefferson and uh, and Adam Thielen have big games too. And I do think Joe Burrow plays well in this game. I think they get the run game going with Joe Mixon. I think Joe Burrow plays well. I think Jamar Chase, we'll see what happens with, with their with – they got, they got a good receiving core with Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase – and T. Higgins, so I think they move, they move the ball pretty well. I think this is a high-scoring game, but I think the difference in this game is going to be is the pressure that Daniil Hunter is going to put on uh, put on Joe Burrow and the blitzing that Mike Zimmer is going to do to Joe Burrow. And I think that's going to force a turnover from the Bengals. I think the Vikings play a clean game offensively. I think the Bengals move the ball, but they have a turnover or two. And I think that ends up being the difference in the game. And that's why I get the Vikings heading to Cincinnati and beating the Bengals 31-24. to but Justin, I got the Vikings, but can Joe Burrow carry the Bengals to a win on opening day? I think they will. I get the Bengals win this one 27-23. Um, you know, Minnesota's defense really showed last year, which is very odd for um, Mike Zimmer. His defense has been really good. Um, Minnesota really showed last year to the quarterback. They only 23 sacks. I, but, yeah, Cincinnati um, off in the line, not very good. They should have up, really upgraded that at the draft with Penny Sewell. They didn't. Um but, I, you know, Joe Burrow played well last year in a lot of those games that they played. They could score some points. I think they will against the Minnesota defense, especially in the secondary that's gotten a little bit better. But I, I think, yeah. you know, Joe Burrow makes some plays. Yeah, guys like Patrick Peterson are just past their prime. There's a reason yeah. Arizona got rid of him. Yeah, absolutely. So I think Burrow makes enough plays at home first game back. I think Cincinnati does find a way to win this game 27-23. Um, at home and move the one and all. It's a big year for Zach Taylor as well. So I think they start out the year one and all. Zach Taylor needs to have this team in contention or there will be no way he has a coaching job next year. But we got a matchup in Houston of potentially two of the worst teams in football as the Jaguars head to Houston to face the Texans. The Jaguars offense will struggle this year, but in this game, I think they play a clean game. I think they have a good game with uh, – with James Robinson on the ground, they have they have a uh, they Trevor Lawrence plays well in his first game against the bad defense, and I do think Tyrod Taylor plays a mistake free game. But again, the difference in this game is I think that the Jaguars get touchdowns and the Texans get field goals, and that's why I ultimately think the Jaguars win this game. And I got them beating the Texans twenty eight twenty. But Justin, I got the Texans. But can Tyrod Taylor play mistake free and lead the Texans to a victory? I agree. I think he will. Um, the last time we really start, start, saw him as like a, you know, when he started with the Bills back in 18, he, he had four touch or yeah, 14 touchdowns to four interceptions. He really does not um, turn the ball over. And, you know, he does enough. He can do enough with his legs too with that running ability he gives. So doesn't have a lot around him. But yeah, if he can protect the football, he's going to give his team a chance in this game. Jacksonville wasn't great. They only had 17 takeaways last year. Their defense is not great. So, yeah, I think um, it tried Tyra Taylor can, you know, um, if it's not there, get rid of it or take off and run if, you know, there's some, green, if there's some, it, you know, there's some running room there. But um, I just, you know, I don't think there's enough around Tyra Taylor for him to do enough. And I think he's going to have to do a lot of it on his own. Um, I could see him have a big game on the ground, but I just don't think um, that he can do enough to win this game at Jacksonville 
Yes, that should be an interesting game with Trevor Lawrence. But I feel I feel it should be an interesting game. This is one of the few games the Texans can win. But at the end of the day, I just feel like that Jacksonville is the better football team and they will get the win. We got an interesting game in Washington down in D.C. as the Chargers travel all the way to D.C. to face the uh, to face the Washington football team. And obviously, I think the difference in this game is going to be the pressure the Washington football team puts on uh, puts on Justin Herbert. I think I think they I think that they force a turnover or two from Herbert. I think they're I know the uh, Chargers improved on the offensive line, but being the first game, offensive line plays about continuity. And I think the offensive line struggles in this game. I think Herbert has a turnover or two. And I think that Washington Gibson does enough on the ground. Fitzpatrick doesn't make mistakes. I think Washington wins a really, really close game. I got Washington starting the season 1-0. I hope this doesn't happen because I'm a Giants fan, but I got Washington beating the Chargers 23-20. to But, Justin, I got Washington winning this game. But can the Chargers' O-line contain, the, contain Washington's defensive line to give Herbert enough time to lead the Chargers to a victory? I do have the Chargers going on the road to get in the win 21-17. It's going to be very tough. You mentioned, you know, yeah, it, you know, the offensive line, it takes some time to get going. Um, they great upgrades with um, Lindsley and, and Rashawn Slater. He picked going in the first round to um, the Chargers. So it, it's a very early test to kind of see as they've got, as they got a lot better on the offensive line to see where they are now. Um, Washington has one of the best pass, ru- pass rushing units in the entire league. They were great at last year. Um, they're going to be great at this year. I think Justin Herbert, you know, we'll see year two. Does he have that ton of sophomore slump as sometimes, we, you know, you kind of see. But I think he does enough. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick makes a couple of mistakes. We know what he is. He's going to have some great games. He's going to have some tough ones. Um, the Chargers are going to have Derwin James back in that secondary. I think I could see him making a big play on the defense side of the ball. And I think the Chargers go on the road out east and get the win over uh, Washington 21-17. Yeah, it should be an interesting game. I hope the Chargers win, but being realistic, um, I got Washington pulling the upset on Sunday. We got probably the most lopsided game of week one as the 49ers headed to Detroit to face the Lions, and I think the, the Niners will win this game. I don't care who plays quarterback. I don't care if they use the two-quarterback system in this game. It won't matter because they will run the ball all over the Lions. I think, I think their offense will have a big day. They'll put up 30 points, and I just think that Jared Goff is not going to be able to do enough with the lack of weapon outside of TJ Hawkins and his wide, wide receiving core is absolutely terrible. I just don't think golf has enough weapons for the Lions to be competitive in this game. And I got the Niners winning it 31 to 13. Justin, I'm assuming you got the Niners as well. Uh, yes, absolutely. I got the uh, Niners winning this one 27, 14. I Detroit may keep it close for a little bit, but yeah, I don't, I don't see Detroit stopping them on the defense side of the ball. It's going to be a long year for Dan Campbell and the Lions. Um, San Francisco should win this thing by at least two scores. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But we have an interesting game in Tennessee with with uh, Kyler Murray heading, uh, bringing the Cardinals to Nashville to play the Tennessee Titans. I think this is going to be a fun, really, really fun game. I think Kyler Murray's going to have a good game on the ground, and he's gonna have, I think he's going to throw a couple touchdown passes too. But I do think Derrick Henry has a big game on the ground. I think Julio Jones is a, has a big game in his uh, in his Titans debut. Him, him, and, him and A.J. Brown. I think Ryan Tannehill puts up big numbers as well. And I think this is a really, really close competitive game. But I think coaching is going to come down to coaching. And I'm taking Mike Vrabel any day of the week over Cliff Kingsbury. That's why in a fun, exciting game, probably one of the most probably, – the, probably the game that will be one of the most fun games to watch in week one, I get the Titans beating the Cardinals 31-28. 
Yeah. 20-24 over Arizona. Um, I, you know, I think I think for the um, I think for the Titans, that having Taylor Luan back against Arizona's pass rush is is going to be huge. Uh, their offensive line last year was it was all right, but um, I, I think Tannehill, I think they give Tannehill enough time to get the ball out to uh, AJ Brown and Julio Jones, and I think that. Derrick Henry does have a big game. I agree with you. Henry kind of dominates this, this game on the ground. Arizona has a t- tough time stopping him. They heat the ball out of Kyler Murray's hands un- you know, for enough. And, you know, and I think Cliff Kingberry, yeah, probably blows a play or two in this game. And Tennessee is able to kind of take advantage and win the game. Absolutely, absolutely. But we are going to the four o'clock games and the probably the biggest game of the weekend as the uh, as the uh, as the Packers head. Sorry about that, Jason. We'll do the Packers and Saints first as the Packers head to Jack down to Jacksonville to face the uh, New Orleans Saints. And this should be an interesting game. A lot of teams have have key players out of this game. The Saints obviously have Michael Thomas out of this game. And here's one player that a lot of people, maybe the average fan doesn't know. The Packers have Corey Lindsley out of it. Oh, no, uh, David Bottiari out of this game. And that's that's very interesting with a good D-line of the, with a good D-line of the Saints. They very easily can get pressure on Aaron Rodgers and really affect that Green Bay passing game. And we all know New Orleans is really good against the run, so they'll probably be able to contain Aaron Jones. But I think at the end of the day in this game, I think this is a close competitive game. But I think it's really going to come down to – Aaron Rodgers making less mistakes than Jameis Winston. I know Jameis Winston had a really good preseason, but I think Jameis Winston is going to turn the ball over a couple of times. I do think New Orleans' defense is going to keep a minute. I think they're going to get pressure on Aaron Rodgers, but I do think Aaron Rodgers, he's Aaron Rodgers, is going to make plays. I do think that Rodgers will capitalize on a Winston turnover. I do think Alvin Kamara is going to have a big game on the ground and, and, uh, and in the passing game. But at the end of the day, I'm not taking Jameis Winston over Aaron Rodgers, and that's why I got the Packers beating the Saints 27-20 in Jacksonville. Yeah, I got the um, Saints as well. When, or I mean the Packers, sorry, 27-21. Um, Jameis wins its first start. You know, with Saints quarterback, he looked good in preseason. I think he's going to play pretty well this year. But, yeah, I, he's not going to be able to outduel Aaron Rodgers. I think losing Michael Thomas really hurts that. The Saints need a guy like a um, – uh, Mark, um, Marquise Gall, um, Cal, um, Cal, uh, Callaway, um, and then because they're also, you know, no Tracon Smith either, like a, Jordan Humphrey, the big wide receiver, came out of Texas uh, last, or two years ago. So, yeah, you know, now they like Chris Hogan's going to be their fourth wide receiver. So, and he's been out of the league for a few years. So, yeah, he doesn't really have a ton of work with Jameis Smith. I don't think, or James Winston, I don't think he's going to be able to do enough to knock off um, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in this last go-around. Um, yeah, they may struggle to run the football Green Bay. They may struggle to slow down um, the Saints' pass rush, but it's Aaron Rodgers, and he should be able to do enough to get over get over the hump on uh, Sunday. Now we're going to go to the huge game, and that is between the uh, Cleveland Browns and the Kansas City Chiefs. Jim Nance, Tony Romo, they'll be there. I mean, this is their rematch of a game last year in the playoffs, which the Chiefs eliminated the Browns. And I think, you know, the Browns are built to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I think, you know, with the run game with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, I think they're going to get they're going to they're going to be able to run the football. I think Beckham and Landry will have good games too, so I think they're going to be able to move the ball. But also, but 
we know the Chiefs' offense is great, and the Browns have you know half their defense. I think like eight or nine new starters on defense, so that's going to take some time for them to gel. I think Patrick Mahomes has a big game in the passing game. I think you know gets the ball to Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. I think I think I think Mahomes has his team going up and down the field. I think this game has two teams going up and down the field, but the difference is I am not taking Baker. I know Baker Mayfield improved last year, but I am not taking Baker Mayfield to win a football game where Patrick Mahomes. That's the di- the difference is going to be the quarterback. I think obviously Mahomes makes more plays and makes less mistakes than Baker Mayfield. And that's why I got the Kansas City Chiefs beating the Cleveland Browns 30 to 24 uh, Sunday afternoon in Kansas City. But Justin, I got the Chiefs in this game, but can the run game in Baker Mayfield help the Browns go into Kansas City and get revenge from what happened last year? You are right about Cleveland. They, they do match up well with Kansas City of the way that they can beat them. I don't think it's going to happen. Now, Cleveland, too, I saw this. In the last 22 years in their season opener, they're 120-1. And, and that one win came back in 04. They beat the Ravens 20-3. to So Cleveland has not been a great opening week team. Um, yeah, you know, I know they've had all those shows. But last year, you remember, they lost 38-6 to to Baltimore. They come out and play well week one. Um, I do think they could keep it, keep this game close with that running game. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield, you mentioned too, you know, cut down those turnovers big time last year. Um, he only had eight last year. He had, um, nine, or I think he had 21 back in um, 19. So, you know, can he make the, you know, I just don't know if he's going to be able to make the plays when he needs to. That Kansas City interior defense still, you know, isn't great. So, yeah, I expect Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to really um, to have big games on the ground. But it just it just won't be enough to be able to beat Matthew Mahomes. Baker Mayfield won't be able to make enough big plays in the air to uh, knock off Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it should be, should be, should be a great game. I mean, but I just cannot take Baker Mayfield to beat Patrick Mahomes. I just – I'm never going to do it. Until it happens once, I'm not doing it. No, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. You just you just can't. You know, we we you know it really helped Baker Mayfield that they were just so run heavy last year for Cleveland that he really had turned in he he just really had to manage the game and as long as he didn't really make the big turnover, you know, they they were gonna win the you know, they he was gonna be okay. And yeah, until he really it's like with Lamar Jackson, if he can make that big play to knock off Mahomes, yeah, you really you really can't you can't take ba- Baker Mayfield to knock off Mahomes. No, no, not at all. But we got now. We got the we're move on. We're going to move on to the Sunday night game, and th- this this should be the Rams winning this game by a couple scores. I don't agree with the decision that Chicago has made starting uh, starting Andy Dalton over Justin Fields. I don't think that gives the Bears the best chance to win. I think this was a, a move where they the Bears wanted to keep Justin Fields away from Aaron Donald, and I think I think the Rams win this game by a couple scores. I feel like Matthew Stafford he knows this Bears defense. I think that the Rams are going to won't run the ball over the Bears, but they'll get they'll get yards on the ground. I think Stafford you know doesn't make mistakes against this Bears against this Bears defense, and I think the the uh, the uh, the uh, Aaron Donald's going to be living in the backfield for the uh, for the for the Rams. I think it's pressure on Andy Dalton. I do think the only way the the Bears really move the ball is with David McCaffrey in the passing game because the Rams linebackers are weak. That's a that's a mismatch that the Bears can exploit. But outside of that, there's really no other mismatch that the 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 Bears can exploit in this game. And that's why I got the Rams win, and I got to win it by two scores. I got the Rams winning twenty seven to thirteen over the Bears. I got the Rams, Justin, but. Can Chicago's defense just shut down Stafford and pull an upset? Because that's the only way they're going to be able to do it. 
Yeah, I have the Rams 24-13. It's going to be tough. Their defense is going to have to cause a lot of turnovers. Their defense, I think, you know, they've been good getting off the field in third down. They only gave up, you know, their um, you know, offense is only converted against them about 38% last year. They're going to, you know, they're going to have to get Stafford into some third and longs, take away that running game, you know, make it, you know, where it's a passing kind of situation. Um, you know, if they could kind of make it one-dimensional and make Stafford kind of beat you with the arm, kind of take away that running game, they, they have a much better chance. I just don't really think that can happen. I don't think their offense – I think their defense keeps it in for a while – I don't think their offense kind of helps them out, but if they're even cause the turnovers, if they can, you know, it's a really good Rams offensive line. If they can get to Matthew Stafford, you know, um, they have a chance, but I think the defense in this, I think the defense had to cause like four or five turnovers really to win this game. And I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I, I don't either. I don't either. I think the Rams play smart and they won't turn the ball over. To wrap everything up, we got the Monday night game between the Ravens and the Raiders. And I think in this game, this game is a little bit closer than people think because I do think the Raiders, this is the Raiders, the way they're going to stay in games is they're going to run the football with Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake. That's the way the Raiders are going to stay in games. And I do think they have some success doing it, doing it uh, in this game. I think the problem, though, for the Raiders offensively is I think Wick Martindale is going to bring the blitz. And I think that's going to, and, and, and the Raiders are going to have a lot of trouble protecting the quarterback, seeing what they lost, seeing that they lost Trent Brown, seeing that they lost Rodney Hudson, seeing that they lost Gabe Jackson. They pretty much lost their entire left side of their offense. They lost their entire uh, right side of that offensive line. And I think they're going to have a lot of trouble protecting uh, protecting Derek Carr, even in a game like this, because of the blitzing that Wick Martindale is going to do. And I think that's going to force a turnover, a couple turnovers by Derek Carr. I do think they're going to keep Lamar Jackson off the field. And I do think with the Raiders playing their zone coverage, I think they're going to be able to contain Lamar Jackson in this game. But I do think the Ravens, you know, I think, I think that, Lamar Jackson is a quarterback that makes less mistakes in this game. And that's why I got the Ravens winning it. And I got them winning it 27-20 in Vegas Monday night. I got the Ravens winning, Justin. But can the Raiders control the game on the ground and contain Lamar Jackson for them to pull the upset? It is possible, you know, with Josh Jacobs and um, Kenya Drake, you know, those two backs. Um, you know, they, they can. It, but as you mentioned, their offensive line is not what it was. It, there's a top 10 off in the line. Now it's probably down the bottom 10, bottom five. Top yeah. of that line, but I could see, yeah, Josh Jacobs, Ken Drake kind of keeping them in this game. Um, they're both really good runners. And, you know, and if they could kind of keep it a minute, we've seen with the, you know, the Ravens aren't great when they trail from behind their game. They got, you know, they want to stay out in front. They want to get out to a lead to be able to, you know, run the football and kill the kind of the clock and take the clock away. So the Raiders can do that, kind of make Lamar Jackson have to be with their arms. They have a really good chance in this game. Um, but I just, you know, I don't see the Raiders defense making enough stops in this game. And I, the Ravens, have, I have the Ravens winning 30 to 23. Yeah, it should be interesting. Should be an interesting game Monday night and should be an interesting week one. I'm really, really excited for it. But we got to move to baseball, and it's a great day for—I mean, it's a great day for Yankee fans because Derek Jeter is going into the Hall of Fame. We'll talk about that. But but before that, we got an ad from Clovercrest Media. If you own a business, you know how difficult it can be to get new clients. But what if you had your own sales team? BNI Somerset invites you to join us on Thursday, September 23rd, to learn about how BNI Somerset provides a positive, supportive, and structured environment for the development and exchange of quality business referrals. Struggling to find more paying clients or want to take your business to the next level? 
Our group of business owners have passed hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of business to one another. Want to know how we did it? On Thursday, September 23rd at 8 a.m., we're hosting an event on Zoom where we show you exactly how B&I Somerset generated client after client for one another and how you could begin to apply the same simple steps to your business, too. The reality is, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. B&I Somerset is incredible for building your personal brand and ensuring you are known. Join Somerset B&I's Visitor Day on Thursday, September 23rd at 8 a.m. via Zoom. All are welcome. For more info, visit BNIWNE.com backslash CT-Northern-Somerset-BNI. Businesses thrive by changing when the world changes, and the world is changing. BNI Somerset can make sure you don't get left behind. So it's a great day for Yankee fans. I mean, we'll, we'll get to the positive first because we got, you know, we'll talk about the two our two local teams, our two local teams that are, that are looking like pretenders right now. But we'll get to the positive first. We got to get to Derek Jeter. I mean, what a career. I mean, the guy was just phenomenal. I mean, he, I mean, he just epitomized what the Yankees are. I mean, he was the captain, named the captain in 2003. He was a five-time World Series champion. He, I mean, and, and you look at some of the great moments in his career. And I, and, I, and, I, and I came up with, I would say, his top five moments of his career. And I would say uh, number number five for me was the the diving catch in the stands in the regular season game against the Red Sox right before July fourth. That was a great game back in 04 between those two teams that the Yankees won five to four. So that was that that, that I would say that, that that's moment number one for me. Moment number moment that was number moment number five. Moment number four. I would go with the diving catch against the A's in, in the in the wild card round. That 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 to me. When the Yankees made that comeback, they were down 0-2 in 2000 and 2001 against the A's, and he made that diving catch in the stands. That's number four to me. Number th- number three, I was and, and here's just I got a comment from Hector. Jeter should have had 100 percent of the votes. 99.75 percent is unacceptable to me, yeah. and it's unacceptable to me too. Jeter yeah. should have been a should have gotten 100 percent. I think it's absolutely ridiculous he didn't get 100 percent of the vote. I think Hector is 100 percent right about that. Jeter should have gotten 100 percent of the vote. Clearly should have gotten 100% of the vote. I think that was ridiculous that he didn't. So, uh, yeah, we'll go to number three. And I and this was this is my favorite moment of Derek Jeter's career. I was there for this when he hit that leadoff home run in game four against the Mets. And that was such a key home run because if you remember the 2000, he hit it off Bobby Jones. If you remember the 2000 World Series, the Yankees had lost game three. So the Mets had the momentum. And then Jeter took it right from him. And, the, and then the Yankees went on to win that World Series uh, four games to one. So, that was a huge home run, that leadoff home run in game four of the uh, World, Series, World Series in 2000. And then the, the last two moments, I'd say number two was that game against the Orioles where how fitting was it in his final game at Yankee Stadium that he got the game-winning hit to win the game for the Yankees? How, how fitting was that? that? That couldn't. And then, oh, yeah, we forgot about Mr. November. <laughs> Thank you, Hector. That's got to be up there. Well, you got to give an honorable mention. Uh, this, we'll go top six because I can't. I, I, you gotta, Thank you, Hector, for, for, for correcting me there. Mr. November, I'd say, I'd say moment number two was two was two was two thousand one when he hit that when he hit that game winning home run against the Diamondbacks. Mr. <laughs> the first time, the first time ever there was November baseball. We played baseball in November. The game was played on Halloween night. If you remember, Derek Jeter hitting that game winning home run against the Diamondbacks. Unfortunately, the Yankees lost that World Series, but definitely, I think the best World Series that I had ever seen seen between those two teams. That was an outstanding World Series, and Derek Jeter hitting that home run. In, uh, in, in, in game four t- 
to win that game four to three in 11 innings. Thank you, Hector, for correcting me there with Mr. November. And the number one moment, I'd say it was the 3,000. He got a 3,000 hit. He went five, five for five that day. The Yankees beat the Rays. And when he got that home run, he did it on a home run. And he'll never forget Michael K's call. History with an explanation, explanation point. Great call by Michael K. And uh, those are my top, my top six moments of Derek Jeter's career. I mean, I, he's going to be getting in the Hall of Fame soon. What a great moment for you, for Yankee fans, especially me who grew up a Yankee fan. I've been, I've been a Yankee fan since 1998. I remember those teams that won those World Series in 98, 99, and 2000. Was at the game in 2000. Was at the game in 99 when they won the World Series. Was at the game in 2000 when he hit that home run. So definitely a great moment for a ton of true Yankee, ton, ton for Yankee fans that grew up watching him play. And it's just, just an outstanding moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, such a terrific player. Again, the captain. I, I, you know, the crazy thing was he played one game that his team was out of AR contention, and all the years he was there, it, it's just amazing that he played, you know, every year that, you know, they were, you know, winning team he played for. Um, yeah, the captain, you know, the big guy in the locker room, um, you know, one of the best of all time, you know, like, you know, wasn't he? He wasn't like the flashiest guy in the world. He was, he, but like you knew in a big spot he was gonna get it done. You, you knew big hit. You needed it. it, it he was up. You, he was gonna get it. Um, you know. Um, so my top five moments were the diving, the um, the play into the stand against the Red Sox. Um, yeah, what an incredible defense to play that. Oh, was. phenomenal. Um. Yeah, yeah. Um, number four, I have the flip of the Oakland A's game. That oh, I forgot that one. Oh, yeah, that, that one. I, 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 I'd that. say I'd say put that whole eight. The flip, I forgot to put that the flip in there. Catch. The flip and the diving catch. You got to got to combine that into one right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because again, that changed that whole series around. You could argue too one of the best defensive plays in baseball of all time. Um, that that play that that was unbelievable. Um, number three, I have. Was the same ninety nine the home run um, changes the whole kind yeah, of yeah two thousand two thousand my bad yes two thousand changed the whole complexion of, of the series and you know to help them get over the top against the Mets um, number two I have the five for five game um, when he hit three thousand um, just a remarkable game that was and I do remember watching that game um, you know got you know. Um, you know, started out of the game with a double and, and then, you know, comes up, hits hits the bomb out of the park. And then, again, that does, you know, Derek Jeter doesn't kind of settle. That's it. You know, goes out there, gets five hits. I believe he was just a triple shy, the triple shy shy of the uh, cycle. That he was. He was, yeah. Yeah, so w- would have been pretty cool to see him get the cycle on, on that day as well. Number one, I have missed in November. I felt like, too, I know they lost that series, but – that was like the you know the first kind of uh, or the second game back after nine eleven for that city, and I know it would have been so huge, you know, would have been even better if he they they you know won the series. But what that meant to the city and, and what that meant to you know the Yankee fans and, and kind of the country and what he did there to kind of hit the home run again. If you know if I was kind of because obviously I was three at the time, but it, you know. If I actually watched baseball back then, I would have said that that was like the game changing. I, I feared there was no way after he hit that home run that they would have lost the series. But um, I, I thought Mr. November kind of what that meant after the game um, with everything that that was my number one moment. Derek Jeter sign. 
Oh yeah. Just, just an outstanding career for Derek Jeter. I mean, just phenomenal. I mean, one of the greatest Yankees ever and the most popular, popular Yankee of our generation. Absolutely. He was, um, you know, every, everybody was a, a Jeter fan and, you know, loved by everybody. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I was, you know, great to kind of see, you know, what I finished there watching Yankees like 05, 06. So like, you know, his last, you know, you know, six, seven years, eight years um, watching him was, you know, great to see. Absolutely. 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 But now we got to get to the negative and this Yankee team is really struggling. They have lost, uh, they've lost eight of their last 10 games. Thankfully they're still in that top spot in the, they still have the top spot in the wild card through the Red Sox, not winning games and the A's not winning games. But this Yankee team, the, the holes are just showing up, especially offensively. I mean, and, and, and they've got to come from Hector. Mattingly was my favorite player of all time. To see him and Jeter share the field together as Yankees is memorable. They did. In 1995, they did. As you remember, when Jeter came up, they did share the field as Yankees. Unfortunately, Don Mattingly never won a World Series. That guy clearly deserved winning a World Series. He's one of the greatest Yankees of all time. But, you know, it was, it was too bad we didn't get to see Mattingly win at all. But, yeah, seeing those two share the field was awesome. And, and obviously, Mattingly was on the coaching staff. Uh, it, 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 when Jeter was on the team too. So it, it was, yeah, definitely a great moment seeing those guys sh- sh- uh, share the field. Absolutely. But we got to get to the Yankees losing eight out of 10. Uh, this, this, uh, this, this team, just the same issues continue. Joey Gallo. Yes. He's had some big home runs, but he's hit one thirty since he's been a Yankee. He's got 61 strike. He's at 61 strikeouts. Yes. A, ton, a, ton, a ton of strikeouts for Joey Gallo. He got benched last night. Uh, even Judge and Stanton have struggled to, in, in this four-game losing streak. They're combined one for thirty-one. Uh, you know, it's it, it's just been a it's just been a it just hasn't been good. I mean, the 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 uh, losing the wise in the bullpen that's been a big loss. And then in the rotation, uh, thank God they took Heaney out of the rotation, but they should even have him in the bullpen too. He is absolutely yeah. pathetic. Get him off he the failed. team. He is he is horrible. And then really in the rotation, since Kluber has came back. Uh, they, they've, I mean, he's not been good since he's came back, but the big story in the rotation though was Garrett Cole. And that's probably where we got to start. I see it. He had, he had a ham, He left the game in the fourth thing with a hamstring injury. And I hope this isn't serious because this Garrett Cole injury is serious. The Yankees are in big trouble. Absolutely. It is scary. I know he said, you know, he wanted to kind of come out when it was because, you know, he was afraid if he threw another pitch or two, it, you know, he didn't want to get worse. So it, you know, it's, it's scary. Um, Absolutely, because yeah, right now you really can't trust anybody right now in this rotation. You know, I'm hoping Kluber kind of gets it going at maybe after another start. It's been it's been a while. I know Tyone struggled the first inning the other day, but he kind of rela- he kind of got it going. But he's been a guy that's never thrown this many innings though. So at at some you know like there's got to be some concern there. Um, you know, he hasn't made 30 career starts so. You know, little word there, but yeah, Haney. I wish they DFA, but it, yeah, it's it's Cole. You know, Cole's gonna be that that guy. They can even get to the wild card game right now because you know Toronto's right on the heels now. Seattle's been playing well. You know, uh, the A's are still three and a half back, even though they really miss Chris Bassett. But not having you know, if Cole does have to go in the IL, it you know you could the way they're playing, you could pretty much just I, I think kiss this this season goodbye. Because, um, yeah, you know, offensively, it's just – and this is the thing. Their 13-game winning streak, what they do? They played small ball. Tyler Wade played well. Andrew Velasquez played well. You know, speed. Greg Allen, he was up here. Like, they had speed. They were stealing bases. 
They don't do that now. They haven't done that since. So, and it's back to the home run or nothing ball. And they, it's the first time since 1908 that they've gone at least 18 innings with no walks and no extra base hits. And, you know, it's, it's been awful. And it's, again, it's, it's like, a, it's back to where in April and May, where it's a chore to watch the team play the last week. It's just, it's just so tough to do it. It's just it's disgusting baseball. I felt in that Oakland series, they were one. If they won one of those games, I felt like they were they were going to get to the playoffs because I think they were. But the yeah. way they played recently, and it's, it's been everything. It's been the starting pitching because uh, they, they because Kluber and Tyone haven't pitched well in, in certain spots. It's been I know Tyone pitched well the other night, but he he was not good in, yeah. in the two previous starts. It's the it's it's the the offense. I mean, one for thirty one with Judge and Stan. I mean, not good. And and you, and you sit there with this lineup and Boone's trying to juggle everything. I wanted I wanted there to be a lineup of you know you know with with all the big bats with with Rizzo with with Stan with Judge with uh. With with Sanchez, uh, with uh, with with Glaber, with with Geo, with, with with DJ. But the problem is, is this team just hasn't hit. And then you know the the, the bullpen. You know, as we saw the other night, the other day against the Orioles, the Wise is such a big loss on this in this bullpen that you know Heaney comes in and they blow that game against the Orioles. So it's just it's it's everything right now. And you know, I feel like this team is becoming a pretender. And yes, the conditions of Rizzo and Gallo helped a little bit, but. There's a reason Rizzo had his slump when, when the Yankees were ironically when the Yankees were going on their winning streak. But Gallo's in a slump now. The thing is, is there's a reason Rizzo and Gallo got traded. They're good power hitters, but they don't hit. They don't. They, they don't hit for. They don't. They don't hit for average that well. So, I, I just think right now this team is just looking like a pretender. I think they could turn around if they could somehow get Severino back and Kluber finds his form again. And obviously, we know. And, and if Garrett Cole's injury is not that serious, but right now. I'm looking at this team as a pretender right now. Absolutely. I am too. I just, there's just too much similarities and there's just too much. And I know at that time where, you know, they were like 25 and 10 to run. Like I know we've seen a stretch where, yeah, they've been pretty good, but it's like for majority of the season, this is what they've been a mediocre team that can't get it done at big spots. You know, they can't produce runs. They don't, you know, station to station, um, it's kind of been inconsistencies all year with the rotation and, and bullpen. And it looks like it's been that way down for the last 10 games. And I just, it, it's pretty tough to see him turn around because Boston's going to start getting guys back from their COVID IL. The Blue Jays are on fire right now. Seattle's been in it and they still have a series with the Red Sox. So they could knock off Boston. I think that's going to be still, a big series next week when they play each yeah, other. Yeah. You know, out West. So, and Seattle had this weekend has Arizona at home and then they go to Kansas city after the Red Sox. So they have a pretty good nine game stretch here where they, they, you know, they're not going to go away. So yeah. And this stretch of the Yankees too, it's like, how do you loot the Baltimore Orioles? Haven't won more than four games. Against yeah, that's, it, that's inexcusable to lose, two, to lose two out of three of the Orioles. They're lucky they didn't get swept. They didn't come back and win oh, that game yeah. on uh, on Friday night. I mean, I mean how do you lose two out of three of the Orioles? It just makes no sense. I mean, the, the, the weird part of this team is they're like they they played the Astros and the White Sox. They've done a great job against the Astros and the White Sox, but this team has struggled against the Orioles, and it's it could very easily cost them a playoff spot. Absolutely, it 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 could it could well yeah it definitely could you know it, it's it's you know you, then you look at it you know that August game where Tor, where Lopez comes in and has a no hitter going the fifth inning as well. It's he gave up one run. The guy had eight ERA coming in. You know, like, yeah, you have three more games at Baltimore, but it's like you got to sweep those three. But it's, you know, 
do you trust them? I I don't really trust this team right now. It's yeah, it's an old team that's not even trying to win baseball games, and they're forty three ninety three, and it just it's embarrassing. Yeah, you know, that that, and that's why I was so disappointed Monday because it's like you, you just got embarrassed an Orioles team. Can you come out and show a little fire? And they haven't. That that that's a scary thing. And I know baseball, and I know guys, you know, may say, well, you know, every game doesn't, you know, every loss, guys don't really leave upset or all that. They kind of just kind of move on. But it's like it, you're in September now, and you're losing games to Baltimore Orioles. Somebody better be in there. You know, like, uh, what are we doing here? And that might be the problem right now. There's really no true leader on this team. There's no, no true captain like Derek Jeter. And obviously, we know the manager has – And we, I know you know my feelings about the manager. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of this manager either. So – the lack of sense of urgency and this cannot happen against the Orioles when you're in a pennant race. It just, it just, it just cannot happen. So, you know, I think the, this is the, the Yankees. They got two more games with the Blue Jays. They're lucky if they don't get swept with the Blue Jays. I mean, the Blue Jays are playing great right now. Outside of that, they might be the, they might right now. They, they're, they're probably a top four team in the American league. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if their bullpen can kind of figure themselves out and just kind of, you know, not blow every game. Then I definitely think you do that lineup because the thing about their lineup is too, yeah, they have power hitters, but they go there with a plan. You know, their plan's not that home run every time. They're, you know, I love their two strike at bats. You know, they put the ball in play. And, you know, it's a scary lineup when they do stuff like that. And, you know, like Alex Manoa, the rookie going tonight, he's been good. He's been five and two. I know been a little up and down lately. I know he just gave up six yards the last start to Oakland, but for the majority part, Alvin always kind of came in and had been really good. I know the Yankees just called up Luis Heal to start tonight, but, you know, it, it's going to be a tough lineup for him to navigate. And, you know, um, but, yeah, you know, the Blue Jays, I definitely think they are. You know, they, they could really give Tampa Bay a scary. Look at Robbie Ray's a Cy Young contender right now. He's probably – him and Garrett Cole are neck and neck. Um, you know, I, and Luis Castillo has kind of been their third, fourth best guy right now. You know, that's a that, – that's a – that's the thing. If Luis, if Cast, um, I mean Jose Barrios, my bad. Uh, Barrios has been like their fourth, fourth best guy. You know, he's late, pitched well he's lately, though. Favorite. He's pitched well lately, though. Yeah, Barrios. he's he is starting to get it going, which has been huge for him. So, if he can kind of keep going the way he has, and it, it's a scary rotation, and it, the, I mean, it's a rotation that's really, you know, been good. It's kind of just the bullpen. I think he kind of figured it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, yeah, if the Blue Jays bullpen was was really good this year, they they would definitely be better than the Yankees and Red Sox. That that would be a fact, absolutely. And speaking of the Blue Jays, there's two more games left with the Blue Jays tonight. It's Heel against Manoa, and then Thursday you got Cortez against Barrios. I think these teams split. I think the Blue Jays take three out of four because of the way the Blue Jays have been playing, the way the Yankees have been playing. So I take, think they take uh, they, t- they end up taking three out of four from the Yankees. And then this week the Yankees play the Mets in the Subway Series. I'm still taking the Yankees to win that series and win two and win two out of three. I, I, I still still got them. I still got faith in the Yankees to win two out of three over the Mets. What do you got, Justin? Yeah, I' gonna go with the split these final two games, but not very confident. Uh, this weekend it should be an emotional one, being you know the 20th anniversary of 9/11. It's you know, um, but I'm gonna take the Mets to win two out of three. I just don't really. I, I trust the Mets. I guess more right now than the Yankees. I just yeah, because the Mets have been playing a little bit better than the Yankees. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, the Mets, yeah, their hitting's kind of come alive a little bit. And the Yankees, I just don't trust them to hit anybody. I don't think they could hit a double-A pitcher at the, at the moment. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, I just can't trust the Yankees' lineup right now. Um, they kind of just look, like, defeated. I don't – I haven't liked their bats the last two nights. 
Uh, nope, no, not at all, not at all. But we got to go from one pretender to another pretender, and that's the Red Sox. And things have just – and they started, they started picking up a little bit uh, last week, but things have really, really gone south for the Red Sox. They've lost, they've lost three in a row, and they've had – unfortunately, they've had, they've had COVID issues. Obviously, Bogarts with, uh, with Nick Pavetta right before the game on a Sunday. Yeah, and then obviously their closer, Matt Barnes, and, uh, and Kike Hernandez. But the problem with this Red Sox team is – is that their 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 bullpen right now and their rotation are not good enough. They're not good enough. And Earth the high on Bloom. When you're in it, you need to improve what you're what you're not good at, what you're not great at. You were fine offensively. Why are you going out and trading for Kyle Schwarber? Why aren't you going out and improving your rotation and improving your bullpen? That 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 that, that explains why why the Red Sox lost that game on on uh, on, mm. on Monday. And yeah, the Verdugo error was terrible. That was a terrible play in that game. That was terrible. I mean, you think, but you would think with a seven-one lead with Sale on the mound, you're you're in the driver's seat. But no, you know, Verdugo drops the ball, and then you know, last night Eduardo Rodriguez was absolutely terrible. But you look at all the teams around the division; they improved their teams at the trade deadline. The the Rays they got Nelson Cruz, the Blue Jays they got Jose Barrios, even the Yankees, even though they haven't been, neither have been great, they got Gallo and Rizzo. This team did not improve their team where they needed to improve their team, and that's why this team has completely struggled in the second half of the year. And I think they're they could be in for a, for a collapse because they got they got to go to Chicago and they got to go to Seattle. I think this team's in for a collapse. I wouldn't be surprised in the next week if this team's out of the wild card race the way they're playing. Their pitch outside of Chris Sale and Evaldi, their pitching is not is not is as bad. Uh, their bullpen has has struggled, blowing a seven to one lead on Monday, and. Uh, and, and and I know their bats are good, but you can't just win with your with your offense. They're thankful. Hyam Bloom is thankful that uh, that uh, Rafael Devers and uh, and uh, Hunter Renfro have had career years, and that JD Martinez and Xander Bogarts have had really good years too. Because without this, uh, he would be in trouble. His job would be. I think his job would be on the line because the reason you. The reason you got rid of Mookie Betts was to improve your rotation, improve your bullpen, and you really have not done that at all. It just, to me, this 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 GM, as we said at the trade deadline, they were content uh, with being where they were, and you just can't. And I've said this: you can't do that in a, in Boston. You cannot do that in Boston. Not and really not improve your team when the other three teams around the division and the teams that are competing for for, for competing for that wild card spot with you are doing that. It just seemed like they were content being where they are. And I think that's what's going to lead to this team, in my opinion, missing the playoffs. Yeah, I can see it. Um, you know, because they got Schwarber to kind of play third base, but Bobby Dahlbeck's been on fire lately. But Schwarber's been great. You know, don't get me wrong. Kyle Schwarber, he's been better than Rizzo and Gallo. So, you know, you, you know, I've, so, and I know they picked up Travis Shaw too to kind of, he's been great pitch hitting wise. But yeah, this team right now is just, they, they got COVID at the wrong time. And, um, yeah, Erod, well, last night, Erod didn't get a ton of help because Verdugo misplayed another ball and it led to like yes. two runs. And then yes. went throw, yeah. the ball hit the chalk, and then he kind of stood there thinking it was a foul ball. And Mike Zanino got a triple and two runs came. So he didn't get the greatest help from his defense last night, but still, yeah, he wasn't great. Uh, but yeah, like Matt Barnes is somebody, it's been almost two weeks now, it seems like. And Adovino's had to handle, obviously, the closing role, and he's had trouble handling the closing role. Yeah, the home run ball, and, you know, has really hurt him. But, you know, one thing, I guess, for, like, Matt Barnes right now is, like, you know, um, 
he could kind of come back and, you know, they were kind of talking maybe he had some dead arm the last few weeks before. So he kind of comes back well rested to kind of help that back in. But Garrett Whitlock's been good. And I know he um, blew a game um, the other day. I heard they lost an extras the other day to Tampa Bay on Monday. But yeah, like they need a huge start today from Nathan Avaldi, um, who's been pretty good all year. Um, he, you know, pitched well on. Um, what they um Saturday, I believe it was he pitched Nitro got three runs to the Cleveland Indians, but they need him to go deep. They need him to go seven, eight innings tonight and give that bullpen a rest because they they you know they they ended up throwing Brad Peacock last night. Um, you know, they, they Cutter Crawford came up like Sunday to pitch for Pavetta. Yeah, you know, it just right now they're just the COVID's really kind of wrecked things. I think Bogarts they're hoping can come back Saturday. In Chicago, so they could get him back in the last two games out there, which would be huge. Um, but yeah, right now it's kind of you know they can't they can't get they can't um they can't get big outs late. And Tampa kind of took advantage last night. Um, it was a lot closer score indicated because they just Tampa Bay just let David has kind of just go out. He took one for the team. He um, he you know let the Red Sox get back into it, scoring like six runs the last few innings, but um. Yeah, right now this Red Sox team, they're going to have to win games like 12, 12 to 10, 12 to 11. You know, they're going to have to score, you know, close to double-digit runs here um, to be able to win games. Cause, yeah, cause, and they really haven't let the rotation guys go deep. And that's kind of been probably, probably the problem is and they, they're at 85, 90 pitches, 95 pitches, you know. Um, you know, in the fifth and sixth inning, it's like, you know, they, you know, obviously nowadays, third time around, they don't like you doing that with that many pitches. They're going to pull you. So, yeah, they really haven't been uh, – most guys really haven't been efficient with their pitches at, you know, as well this year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, it just – I think the way the Red Sox are going right now, I, did, I think this team's missing the playoffs right now. I, did, I just can't see this team making the playoffs. But we got a pretty good week of college football. We got the second week of college football. But before that, we got a promo from Clovercrest Media. We got an ad from Clovercrest Media. It's been a pretty wet summer in Connecticut, and that means more mosquitoes than ever. If you didn't have your home service for mosquito control and find you're spending most of your time outside flooding those little pests, you are in luck. Mosquito Shield of Central Connecticut provides the best value in mosquito control services because of how they treat your yard using the Mosquito Shield Tailored Treatment System. They don't use a fixed schedule or an identical product one-size-fits-all service program because you can't control mosquitoes on a set number of sprays or visits. Unlike the competition, Mosquito Shield of Central Connecticut will service you for this season whatever it takes to provide superior results. This promise has awarded them an industry-leading consumer retention rating of 90%. Visit MosquitoShieldCT.com to schedule an appointment with Wade the Cesare and enjoy the rest of your summer mosquito-free. That is uh, that is Mosquito Shield. Make sure you sign up for their services and mention the, the, the mention us that Steve and Justin send you and mention the show Sports Talk with R&J and you will get a referral fee. So make sure you sign up for Mosquito Shield. So getting into college football, uh, this this isn't as good as well, I'll admit this week is not as good as the first week of college football, but we do have some good matchups. And obviously we'll start with the game in Columbus as Oregon heads all the way. I, I, I got to tell you, I think Oregon's a little upset with this, with this, with the way this game was scheduled. They got to travel all the way to Columbus to play a nine o'clock game, their time 
it's it, their 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 body time is going to it's going to feel like a nine o'clock game their time as they head all the way across the country to play Ohio State. I know what TV Fox likes to have that you know big noon kickoff, but I think this is a, an advantage for Ohio State and Oregon potentially might not have Kayvon Thibodeau either in this game. So that's another advantage for Ohio State, and that's why I think Ohio State scores some points in this game. I think they you know I think CJ Stroud has a big game. I think you know Chris Olave has a big game too. And I think on offense, I think Oregon scores some points because Ohio State's defense is a little bit shaky. But at the end of the day, I got Ohio State winning this game, and I got them winning it by two scores. But, Justin, can Oregon head to Columbus and beat the Buckeyes? I, you know, last week I know everybody's kind of counting on the Ducks now. I know Kevion Thibodeau is a big part of, you know, that, that team and that defense. And, you know, I thought the game changed when he came out of that game last week because he forced a fumble. Um, Oregon was able to kind of score a touchdown after that. Um, but I, I do think Oregon has the talent to go to a um to be in the college football playoff. I think they are a really, really good team. I think Fresno State's a top 25 team. Uh, you know, and Oregon in this game, they're gonna need CG Verdell, Travis Dye in that backfield. They're both great duo kind of backs. Um, you know, Anthony Brown, his arm is not great, but you know, he, if he can make enough plays with his arm. Oregon, he's in, you know, I think Oregon has a chance. Ohio State's defense wasn't great. I thought they got, a, you know, they, um, at, at all last week, but they got some stops they needed to. They got, a, you know, got a turnover. But um, on the defense side, it's well for Oregon, guy to watch out for. And I think who's going to be a lot, one of the best linebackers by the end of the year is Noah Sewell, the brother of Penny Sewell. Uh, last week, he had 11 tackles. He forced a fumble. I think he had a sack as well. So, he had a really good game last week against Fresno State. If he can kind of be a big impact, especially they do not have um, Kevion Thibodeau in the game Saturday. You know, if he can kind of step up for him, especially because Ohio State too. I think their offensive line played really, really well. Um, but you know, I think Ohio State just has a little bit too much. I the Buckeyes win this one, thirty-eight to twenty-seven. Why did Oregon give up? They gave, they, why was that a game against Fresno State? I, that's what I didn't get. Was it because was it because Thibodeau got hurt? I think I and yeah, because when uh, Thibodeau went out, it was fourteen nothing Ducks. Fresno didn't do anything. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Now, now I get, then, it, now but, I get it. But I and I think yeah, I know, and I bet you saw some of that Fresno UConn game. I think Fresno has it's a top twenty five team. I, I would have seen. I I think they're you know they play UCLA next weekend. If they can beat UCLA or keep it close, I think they'll be in the top twenty five very very soon. I that's a very talented football team. But here's the thing. If Thibodeau plays, there is no way Oregon – if Thibodeau is out, there's no way Oregon wins the game. Because Ohio State will score at least – I think if, if Thibodeau's out, I think they score at least 40 points against Oregon's defense. I know, you know, Sewell's brother is is played well, but he's no Thibodeau. Thibodeau's a top-five pick. This guy's a game wrecker, especially in college football. If you, That guy completely wrecked the game. You don't have him. I think Ohio State goes up and down the field against 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 Oregon's defense. I think they can. Um, I I really like Oregon's defense, though. Ohio State's very talented. They have two best wide receivers in the country, Levon Wilson. Um, but I think, you know, CJ Trout looked a lot better in the second half. But still, like, there's some throws that he kind of missed. There's some throws he's behind, he kind of threw behind the wide receivers. I think Oregon can turn, make it get a turnover or two and kind of keep this thing close. Um, the running game's going to be big, you know, um, can they slow down? Um, Williams had a big game. You know, Master T, I expect to have a bigger game, you know, bigger game this week as well. So if Ohio State could get, kind of get that running game going as well, I think it would be tough. 
But Oregon was all in on CJ Trout to recruiting him. So Mario Cristobal has a pretty good idea about what he likes and all that. So, you know, Oregon does have a pretty good scouting report on CJ Trout as well. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Big game, noontime on Fox. That's a, that, that is a big, big game. We got you got Oregon facing Ohio State, and I hope Thibodeau plays because that, that, if Thibodeau plays, that, that, that'll be a really, really fun game to watch. We got the Battle of Iowa. College game day will be there in Ames this Saturday as the Hawkeyes face the Cyclones, and I think this is going to be a really competitive game. I think I think both teams are going to be able to run the ball. I think Tyler Goodson's going to run the ball for uh, – for uh, Iowa, I think that uh, Brees Hall is going to be able to run the ball for Iowa State. I think this is a really, really close competitive game, but I'm going to go with the better coach and the better defense. And I got Iowa winning this game really close. I got them winning it 27-24 over Iowa, Iowa State. I can't trust an Iowa State team that barely beat Northern Iowa last week. Yeah, you're going a little bit high. So you're going a high-scoring game there. I, I think it's going to be I mean, a it's, 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 co- it's college football. I mean, that's an average score for college football, 27-24. Come on. Those, you think it's going to be a Clemson teams. game? I think it's going to be 17-13 Iowa. Really, I think really, it's going to wow. be a defensive struggle. Both teams the last two years have not been able to score over 20 points against each other. Iowa hasn't given up more than 25 points in the last seven, in, in the last seven games. Iowa hasn't scored more than 20 points to Iowa since 2014, the last time they won. So – Iowa State's had a tough time moving the ball. Matt Campbell, he's 0-4 against the uh, the Hawkeyes. He's, you know, that when I'm winning the Big 12, it's kind of been a thorn in his side. Um, Iowa State, week one, for whatever reason with Matt Campbell, they never looked great. You know, they took North Iowa two years ago, took them to three overtime. North Iowa was a pretty good FCS school, but, yeah, they got to win by more. First time in their 68th all-time meets, first time they're both in the top 10. Um Iowa State, too, should get back their tight end, Charlie um, Collar, who had 44 catches last year, 591 yards and seven touchdowns. He should play Sunday or Saturday. That If he plays, I think Iowa State has a very good chance. Um, um, Brock Purdy completed 80% of his passes. They couldn't get anything going with Brees Hall in the backfield. Um, and then Iowa, Spencer Petries didn't look great. Iowa blew out uh, Indiana. Michael Penix threw three interceptions. He was just forcing things. Iowa had two pick sixes. They didn't really do much offensively, Iowa. They had a 68-yard touchdown drive the first time. First, um, and, I, I, and I want to ask you this. Was that more about Iowa's defense being good, or, or was that just Penix just not being ready after the torn ACL? I think it was a little bit of both. I really like Iowa's defense again up front, their linebackers. You know, you always expect Iowa to have a really solid defense. I think they did, or they do. Uh, but but some of it, too, was Penix just forcing it, you know, just some terrible throws. Some of it was forced, you know, Iowa did get some pressure on him, but some of them was like they're pretty clean pocket. And, all you know, he was just kind of throwing the coverage. So um, I'd say it was a little bit of both, but Iowa's defense is going to be very, very solid. Like it is every year, you know. Um, so, you know, in this game, I, I got Iowa winning this one 17-13. Oh, wow. So we both got Iowa. We both got Iowa close in this game. We got kind of a border war in Arkansas as Texas and Arkansas face off with each other. An old, an old Southwest Conference battle and probably is going to be a future SEC matchup between these two teams. And I think Texas last week proved that, you know, Steve Sarkeesian has this program going in the right direction. I think Robinson runs the ball. That's the, that's the running back team, right, Robinson? Yep. yep. Hey, I think he runs the ball well on the ground. And I think their defense plays well, too. That's why I got Texas winning by two scores. But, Justin, can Arkansas pull the upset against Texas this week? It's going to be a tough one for Arkansas. It'll be their first sellout since 2017 for the Razorbacks. Uh, Sam Pittman's doing a good job. Um, 
a tough job in Arkansas. You know, he's got to get some time. KJ Jefferson's got to play a lot better. He he struggled to get passing in going against Rice. Um, it was a 17-17 game on the fourth quarter. Rice threw three interceptions and, you know, kind of made the score look like it was 30-17 and ended. So kind of looked like from the score, if you just kind of looked at it, they really watched that Arkansas kind of blew them out. But that was not the case. They really struggled against the Rice team. KJ Jefferson – could beat the um, Longhorns with his with his um, with his legs. He's a really good runner, but yeah, as you mentioned, with Texas, there's no dumb penalties. There's no dumb turnovers. Texas was much well more well coached to start Steve Sarkeesian. It looks like a much better coach team. He's got him going the right direction. I think Arkansas keeps this thing close. Um, I think they struggle with Bijan Robinson. Um, I, I think he's got a great shot to win Heisman, especially Texas has a really tremendous year and, you know, they kind of finished, you know, like a 10 and two, something like that. I could see him, you know, winning Heisman, but, um, Texas linebackers is overshown and, um, oh, what's his other guy's name? I was like, Buckle Meyer, something like that. They, they played well at the linebacker position on Saturday. Um, but yeah, Jay's got it, Brock, Jay's got it, Brock Meyer. Yeah. Meyer. Be, they're terrific. Uh, Arkansas has got two good ones, too. Uh, Bumper Pool and Grant and Grant Morgan are two very good linebackers. They could keep them interesting. But I got the Longhorn 34-24. Uh, big, big game in the big house on uh, Saturday night as Washington faces Michigan. And I think it comes down to this. Washington couldn't even beat Montana. So how do you think they're going to go in the big house and beat Michigan? I got Michigan by two scores. Wow. So now Washington, oh, yes, that was awful. I guess the Washington – at home. They lost to Montana at home. How I, are they going to go into the big house? I know Michigan's not great, but how are they going to go into the big house and win? Well, I was listening to the coaches' interviews after the game, before and after. They've been prepping for Michigan. They, they, oh, so, Montana so, to them wasn't even on so, the schedule. So, so they overlooked an opponent. Who's their, oh. who's their coach? Uh, Jimmy Lake. Well, so he, should he, be was old, he should be fired leader. for that. He should be fired for that. You're overlooking yeah. another opponent while you're playing where you're playing. You're, you're over. You're preparing for Michigan while you're supposed to play Montana. Yeah. I don't like that in a coaching staff. I don't think this coaching staff is going into Michigan. And I don't like Michigan, but I don't think this coaching staff is going into Michigan and winning this game. You like Washington? How do you like Washington yeah. in this game? I love their defense. Look, I, and every, Michigan played well last week. But I, I, again, look at last year. Did you think Michigan State was coming to the big house after they just blew up Minnesota? I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. <laughs> the guy picked like Michigan State Michigan. to win that game by like three scores. I, I yeah. get it. I get it. It's Michigan. But I just can't see a, a team that loses to Montana on their home field going to the big house and win. I just can't Montana's see it happening. Montana's a powerhouse so at the FCSO. That's really? A Montana's actually – how good are they, Montana? Two-time national champion. All right, all right, all right I'll give you that. They get a chance to win again I'll give you that. You do watch more uh, – you do watch more FCS football than me, so yes. I'll give you that. Were you, were you actually surprised by that result when they upset? Did you see that I, game? I still was. I, I still was were? very surprised, yes. Yeah. Um, watching it do anything, it was like run up the middle, run up the middle, oh, third and long, let's try to throw the ball. Just it, The play call was just atrocious. It was worse than UConn's. That's what I'll say. If you watch UConn game Saturday, it was worse than UConn's play calling, which is well, – We'll get to that. We'll wrap up the show yes, with that. I, I can't wait for that uh, talk. But And a big part, too, is they lost Jalen um, um, Polk, their Texas Tech transfer. That's their one big kind of deep threat guy that Washington had needs at the wide receiver position. If he doesn't play, I think it will be a tough task to move the ball. But Dylan Morris, retro freshman, played last year, played pretty well. Saturday night was awful. They had Patrick O'Brien, a grad change of Colorado State, who had a pretty good career there. And then Sam um, Heward, top, he was the no, number two quarterback out of this class. So I could maybe see – I question if we kind of see them a little bit if he struggles again. But 
Washington, I love their secondary. They have a top five secondary in the country. Their defense was great. It was the offense just didn't do anything. And, you know, again, Michigan, Caden McNair played great, but it was Western Michigan. They did lose their top wide receiver, probably one of the best in the country, Rodney Bell. I think that's going to be a huge loss because Michigan's wide receiver core, I don't like outside of him, outside of Bell. Um, I could just, I see this, I, you know, everybody thinks Michigan's going to blow them out now. And I understand it, but again, I just, I think Washington's a better team. I really do. I still think Washington's better than Michigan. And I think they come out and play a lot better. I like Jimmy Lake until, yes, that's the fireable offense after what I heard Saturday night in those interviews. That was totally a fireable offense. That has got to be a fireable offense. Not to prepare for a team, to overlook a team. You're getting paid all that money to be a a Division I head coach and you overlook a team. That's embarrassing, in my opinion. Especially because the Montana coach, Bobby Howe, used to be a Washington assistant. So, you know, he wants to go back in there and go get a win. So, this team was great. was very motivated. But – I'm going to take the Washington Huskies. I think they get enough done, and I, I think they it's a big game for the Pac-12. They, they need that one. So I'm going to take the Huskies, 23-20. Wow, wow. I'll be, I'll, what's, what, what's your score again? 23-20. 23-20. I'll be circling that game. I'll, right. if, if, you, if you get that one right, man, I'll never question you about college football again if you get that one right. All right, I need that one. Then. Gotcha, one. gotcha, gotcha. We've watched the pain this weekend. Oh, you got to be. You got to be. So we got up the Battle of Utah this week as, uh, and you know, Jace will be glued to the TV. 10 15 on Saturday night, Jace will be glued to the TV as Utah faces BYU. And Utah always has a good defense. Here's, here's a, this game come down. I think it'll be a close game. The Holy War is back. He's Jace bumped up for that. So uh, Utah always has a good defense. BYU doesn't have, uh, doesn't have Zach Wilson anymore. So I'll keep it simple. I got, B- I got Utah winning in a low scoring game by a touchdown. Justin, Justin, do you think BYU without Zach Wilson pulls the upset in the Holy War? To be tough, BYU has not won since 09. They've lost nine straight. So this has not been wow. a rivalry lately. And, you know, I have Utah win this in 24-20. I think it's to be a tight uh, battle. Um, defensively, it needs to be a really tight game. It's going to be interesting. I love BYU's front seven. They got they really confused Arizona with a bunch of blitzes. Arizona stinks. I get that. They're Them and Kansas are the two worst power five teams out there. Utah, I think – under Kyle Whittingham, I think they have their best offensive defensive line right now. So it'll be very interesting if BYU can get to Charlie Brewer and uh, make some plays on the defensive end because their offense looked a little bit better after the first quarter. But um, Jaron Hill, um, Hall, 198 passing yard, I believe it was, um, could run with his feet, but their offense really didn't excite me. And I thought they should beat that Arizona team by a little bit more than they did. I know kind of pulled away. Arizona kind of got it close there for a bit. Um, you know, can they get, you know, Utah, I think going to come after Hall. Um, but Utah pretty played well against Weber state. They dropped two touchdowns in the reds in the end zone that led to two field goals after. So that they now again, it didn't mean anything against Weber state, but in this game that could mean something, you know, um, it's a couple drop passes, but I think Utah, they, they've been able, you know, they've won nine straight. I think Utah finds a way to win this game, twenty-four to twenty. Um, I think Utah just too good on on both um, in the trenches. I think Utah is going to be able to win this game, and I think they're running back Utah. Uh, TJ Pigler, the Oklahoma transfer, I think is going to get a little bit more carries this week, um, and I think Utah is going to get this win, tight one, twenty-four twenty. 
should be interesting to see what happens between those two teams on Saturday night. But we got to wrap. We to wrap up the show. We got to talk about a team that's close to us, and that's UConn, a program that's an absolute disgrace. Has become a total joke. Maybe maybe outside of UMass, the worst uh, FBS program in the country, and that's UConn. And on Monday, Randy Etzel stepped down. In my opinion, I don't. I'm not saying it's my opinion. I don't know if it's true. I think UConn said UConn forced him out, and I th- and, and yeah, obviously they said on Sunday he was going to retire at the end of the year, but then they decided, you know, just to have him step down. And, and, you know, you got it, though, even though this is, this is the sec, Etzel uh, 2.0 was terrible, you got you can't forget what Etzel did to, for this program. They're not playing at Rensselaer Field if it's not for Andy Etzel. The way he built this program, you know, the, the, the winning that bowl game with Dan Orlovsky in 2004, uh, then uh, obviously 2007 when they had, you know, Jordan Todman had that winning, had that winning season. Uh, then when they had, you know, with George, no, no, with Donald Brown, Donald Brown, Brown, Donald Brown you know, in 07, 08, 09, all had winning seasons. In 2010, you'll never forget that year when they beat South Florida to play in the Fiesta Bowl. The fact that UConn football played in the Fiesta Bowl, that, to me, is still amazing. You Knowing, seeing where they are now, seeing where it was then. I mean, deserve, did they deserve it or not? Were they, were they a team, were they a BCS team? No, but still, from where the, from where they were, for Etzel to get them to the Fiesta Bowl was great, but... Unfortunately, after that, the program, it all went downhill. You know, Pascaloni takes over. They go five and seven two years in a row. Then they then they fire him midway through the two, 2013 season. They finish three and nine. Diaco was a complete disaster. And that, and with that, till the program, tur- unfortunately, turned into a total joke. Uh, obviously, two questions. I mean, how do you remember you, Randy Etzel as a UConn head coach? And what went wrong in the second in his second stint as UConn head coach? Yeah, so the first question, uh, what I'm going to remember, yeah, he again, you mentioned it. They, that you know, they were a Division One, Double A, Double A team. You know, and that was the old FCS. They brought them up. They came up and, and they were competitive in the Beast. You know, pretty much right away. You know, um, and I bet you remember going to Rancho Field and it was forty thousand. That oh you know, yeah, the fans oh, yeah. up and it's great. Yeah, RG three said that was the toughest place he played in college football. That's crazy to think that. He played at OU and wrench and and wrench field. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, you know, he said that was the loudest crowd. You know, like again, it's such a great. Oh yeah, and we might have lost Justin there. Again, it's it's crazy that um, it's yeah, it's been all downhill since. It be really, they were you know, they came up in ninety nine, two thousand. You know, again, decade later, they're playing the Fiesta Bowl. You know, yeah, they got killed by Oklahoma, but who cares? It was great for us UConn fans to just see them in a decade. He built that program, and it was something for a while. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, he came back, tried to fix it, and it just never came to – never happened. What I, what went wrong was, you know, in 17, I don't – you know, that first game or that kind of – he threw the Aquas guys on the bus, and, you know – and he wanted to play all the freshmen that were young and they weren't ready. They needed red shirts. You know, they should have red shirted. And, you know, um, it just, you know, it just never really worked out. Their defense got worse. And I think, too, they still ran because in Randy Enzo's first set, too, they were able to kind of play that base defense at like 4 3 3 4 that he liked. And they were able to stay in most games because every year, too, he had guys going to the NFL on that defensive side of the ball. At one point, from 08 to 2018, they had the most G5 draft. draft yeah, you had, you, had, you had Darius Butler. You had Kendall Reyes. I mean, Scott Lutris didn't play in the NFL, but he was he was he was known. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Ob Ta- 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 um, Millifoot. I can't Milford, remember his last name. Yeah. Tyvon Branch. They had a, a bunch a bunch of guys. Uh, yeah. uh, I think CL Moore too. 
Yeah, they, they, they had a bunch of guys. Yeah. 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 You know, that was a thing. And they were able to stay games close. They were able to kind of run the football. They had a great backs, Andre Dixon, Donald Brown, Jordan Todman. And was, they were able to steal games. And, and, and the culture early on fit what Connecticut football was. Run the ball and play good defense. But when he came back, I think the game kind of – don't forget, they had Anthony Sherman, too, as the fullback. So, yeah. But I think when he came back, the game the game started to change, and I just don't think Etzel evolved with it. And that's why I think that, uh, in my opinion, why two, Etzel 2.0 was a disaster. Yeah, absolutely. Because remember that first year, they, he had Billy um, Crockett from Villanova. They tried that um, – 335 defense, that new kind of, and he tried it. And they, again, that they were the worst defense in the history of college football. Yeah. They probably were close with LSU last year, but you know, it, like, yeah, it just never worked out. And they didn't have the defense to be able to play style anymore. They're, you know, their offenses ran like back in the 1980s and they don't have the guys, they don't have the defense to run that anymore. And the recruiting too, because he was able to steal guys, you know, as Drew Stars and kind of come play right away at a Power Five school. He started to do that as an independent. Like his class coming in next year is good. Like, I, you know, like that's what it worries me is he's gonna, you know, we're gonna lose that class. That again, they have like seven or eight three stars right now, which is pretty good. It's a top sixty class right now in the country, which they haven't been like that in a while. So, um, it started to kind of come back, but you know, recruiting wise, but it just yeah, he just didn't have the talent that he liked to. Um, you know, and, and quickly, I'll give you my top five kind of guys I want for this job that I, you know, um, number one is Joe Moorhead. He was the OC here from 09 to 010. I believe he applied for the job back in 2011, didn't get it. Um, but again, you know what he did at Penn State with that offense? You know, he did a great job turning around his alma mater at Fordham. He's from Pittsburgh. He's out with Oregon right now. Um, but you know, Joel Moorhead is my number one guy. I think he'd come back if you asked him to. He's getting 900000 right now as the OC at Oregon. If I think – now, this is my thing, too, because I want you kind of go after an offensive-minded guy because you look at it, Edsel was – he was a defensive guy. Pop Diak was a defensive guy. Paul Plaskolini was a defensive guy. Their last offensive guy was Skip Holt back in the mid-'90s. And, you know, I think they need a young offensive – well, Moorhead's not young, but they need an offensive mind that could kind of be creative here. Um, to kind of, you know, um, get going. And I think Moorhead would be that guy. My number two guy is a not very well known right now, but it's Will Healy, the Charlotte head coach. He's a young guy, but he's done a great job of building programs. Austin P was a team that lost 38 straight games in the FCS level. They were awful, horrendous. Year two, eight and four, they made the playoffs. And they've been, you know, since he's left, you know, um, that was year two. He won eight four. First year was 0-11, but year two, eight and four. Took him to the playoffs, and they've been pretty good in the FCS ever since he's been gone. So in Charlotte, first year, took them their first ever bowl game at seven and six. Um, you know, they just knocked off Duke their first time in Charlotte school history. They've only been a football team for 10 years. They, you know, um, you know, they knocked off Duke for the first time. They beat a power five school. I think Will Healy is a very good up-and-coming young coach. And I think people are going to know his name very soon in the coaching world. So you kind of think it's cool up now would be great. Number three, Bill Clark, the head coach at UAB. Since reinstating that program, he's 52 and 26. UAB used to stink in Conference USA. They've been a perennial kind of team in, in Conference USA ever since. He, tough situation. He's from Alabama. I don't know if he would come here, you know, um, but I would really like um, Bill Clark's another one. Good program builder. My fourth guy is Todd Orlando, the longtime defensive coordinator here from 09 or 99 to 04. 
um, was a linebackers coach. And then 04 to 2010, he was a defense coordinator and linebackers coach. He knows the way the land here at stores, you know, all that time with Randy Edsel. Um, he's with he's USC's defensive coordinator now. Um, as I mentioned, I want an offensive guy, but Tyler Orlando knows this program very well. Um, he's from Pennsylvania as well, so he knows the area recruiting wise. I think he could do very well here. If he can get a very good offensive minded guy to come along with him as his OC, I think um, I'd be very excited to have Tyler Orlando. My number fourth or fifth guy, this one's a little bit off the radar, I believe, but it's Liam Cohn. He was the last three years with the Rams under Sean McVay as a wide receiver, assistant wide receiver coach and assistant quarterback coach. This year, the offensive coordinator at Kentucky. Um, he played at UMass, all-time leading passer there, over 11,000 yards, won a national championship there from Warwick, Rhode Island. Um, you know, when he interviewed for the UK job or for the Kentucky job, he, he showed Mark Stoops over 300 plays that he was going to bring from L.A. to Kentucky. Um, and you could see the difference in week one with Will Levis. And maybe, you know, I don't think it would happen, but if it happened, maybe brings Will Levis back to Connecticut. And, uh, that'd, be, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. For the Huskies. But um, and he, I think he's young. He's never, you know, it's the first time he's been a coordinator. Um, he was a assistant coach at Brown and Maine, so he knows kind of the recruiting area as well. And uh, But Liam Combe, kind of my number five guy, Young guy, he's 35, but again, young offensive-minded coach, I think is what UConn needs. He played at UMass. Um, I think he's a guy that I would really like to have. So that's my time, kind of top five coaching candidates for uh, that, you know, I think usually I could just go after. And whoever does get this job has a major, major rebuilding job out of that. But that's going to wrap it up for Sports Talk with RJ For our producer, Jace Garcia, did a great job. For Justin D'Onofrio, I'm Steve Risser. We'll be back next week talk, previewing week two of the NFL season, week three of the college football season, and talking Yankees-Red Sox as they keep their pennant races, as they keep fighting, for, fighting to get into the playoffs. So enjoy week one, enjoy the game tomorrow night, and have a great weekend, everyone. so much more by visiting clovercrestmedia.com.